This Week in Retronauts, we begin the new year by looking back at years gone by. Okay, guys, I did an intro. Can you untie me now? I want to leave, right, please. Let him no, out. Jeremy, you cannot. God, I killed this podcast. Why won't you die? Back to posting comments on IGN. Get out of here. Wow, he is, he's not a happy camper. That was Jeremy Parrish, uh, Retronauts old host. Founder. Founder yes. of Retronauts. Creator. By the way. CEO. And uh, he is, uh, I guess, washing his hands of the whole thing. But anyways, uh, I'm Bob Mackey, your host of Retronauts, and uh, this is episode 35 and today's topic is, uh, as traditionally we've done uh, the first episode of every year, we look back at a uh, series of years divisible by five. Well, not divisible by five. How would you say this? Like, we go back in chunks of five, in increments. I guess. Increments. Thank you. Increments of five. That's a fancy word. I, I should know. learn that. We are fancy people. Uh, so today we'll be looking at 1972, 1977, mm-hmm. 1982, 1987, and 1992. Hopefully we'll get through all these. Um, the twos and sevens. It's easy to remember. Yes, yes. That's a good way of thinking about it. But before I uh, continue any further, let's introduce the people who have been talking. So who's to my right? Hey, I'm Samuel Claiborne. I write for IGN.com. Radical. Who else we have? Hi, I'm Christian Nutt. I'm the Features Director of Gama Sutra. And we have... Hello, I'm Chris Kohler, the Editor of Game Life at Wired.com. I have a simple super crew today of people who really know their stuff because uh, there's a lot of really important history in these years that um, we're going to discuss today, especially 1972, which for all intents and purposes is sort of the first year of video games. Would you guys agree with me? I guess uh, as a... As, uh, as we know them, I know there's like there's like computer computer space, oscilloscope stuff like that. But what the first year commercial, commercial video games? I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to just say I, I didn't know we were starting with 1972. Oh I no, we're, we're, I thought yeah. we were starting with 1977. Oh sorry, Chris. We, we it just at the last minute because he was saying, oh, there might not be a lot to talk about in 72. And I said, well, Atari was founded and Pong came out. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. And Thankfully, the Odyssey came out. So there's a few things. They're, they're big things though. So yeah. You know. This okay, entire this right. entire time I was staring at Chris like, really? 72? Come on, Chris. Agree with me. But yes, it's it's will, the first. I'll, uh, I'll allow it. Okay. Thank you. It's the okay. first. Uh, it's the first console game. Uh, excuse me. Console home console video game system. Yeah. Um, before I continue, though, I just want to make a note that we have a lot of mail backed up, um, user, uh, listener mail, sorry, mm-hmm. and there's just not enough time to read it on today's episode. So I just I did want to give our address and everything right now, and just so people, if you're interested in writing into us, as always, please write into Retronauts Care of Bob Mackey, uh, IGN.com, 625 Second Street, third floor, San Francisco, California, 94107. Do it today. And I must say, uh, initially, I didn't have a lot of time to research. But uh, over the break, a company called uh, Game Plan, uh, unsolicited, uh, they, they sent me a copy of their uh, latest edition of a book called Game Machines, 1972 to 2012. Hmm. And it helped me a lot in, this, um, in uh, doing research for this episode. So I must say thank you, Game Plan. I, I highly endorse your book, even though it is a little pricey. Um, How so much is it? It's 50 bucks. What? Yeah. No. Um, That's the price of a game machine. No. Yeah. It's, uh, it's Sorry. very high it's, quality. It is. It's glossy. It's color. And like like the um, the appeal for this is not universal, so I understand the uh, the high price. But hey, if you get 50 bucks, it's pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, at, least, at least thumb through it if you see it out there. And uh, I, I, I approve. Yeah. 
So, guys, want to start with 1972. Actually, before we start with 1972, yes. since it's 2012, I wanted to point out that uh, an increment of five, uh, 200 years ago, in Hold 1812, Uh-oh. Charles Babbage uh, first came up with his idea for a computer. And then he invented the store Babbage's. And then he, which then he opened that. the store Babbage's. Oh, okay. <laughs> they didn't sell anything. Which I bought my Sega CD mm-hmm. at. They sold like used abacuses. It was, it was very difficult for him because they hadn't invented the shopping mall yet. Oh, mm-hmm. damn it. And yeah. then he actually produced the machine in 1822. So there you go. That's another, uh, that's another counts with our, our wow. year scales. But that going... was 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Just now somebody came up with the idea. He, he was reading a, a table of logar- a logarithmic solutions, and most of them are wrong because they would make these giant books of them, and then they still would be off by a little bit because it took all this calculation. Right. He was like, you know what? A machine could do this better. And then he... And then I was like, I'm going to play Pong on that machine. <laughs> right. Right, he right. had no idea what it would lead to, yeah. which is uh, us four guys sitting and in a room. He, and then he wrote the di- design doc for Thrill Kill, which sadly wow. never came out. He Wait. revolutionized pornography. So what you're mm. saying is Charles Babbage eventually... Uh, <laughs> Charles Babbage. Pervert. <laughs> his, his work eventually made the Wu-Tang Clan fighting game. Yeah. Which is what Thrill Killer became, You can draw right? an unbroken It mind. is. It yeah. didn't... I mean, it's... It's uh, not. It didn't literally become that. It was the next game the team made. With okay. the same technology. I thought they like uh, right. modded. I don't or think something. it was. I mean, I don't know. It's probably like, hazy. Okay. You know what I mean. <laughs> well, regardless, ODB, RIP, and let's go to seventy-two. Unless we have any other like uh, strange historical anomalies. But thanks for bringing that up, Sam. That was really sure. Interesting. I'm sure something mm-hmm. else happened in every series of five right. years that right. really right. relate to it. But. So, uh, and you guys, like I said, I didn't have time to do a lot of research. So, if you have anything to add uh, mm-hmm. or any sure. corrections to make, jump in. Mm-hmm. So, seventy-two. We have three important things that I pulled out. So, let me just name those. And we can go into them in greater detail. We have the founding of Atari. And the release of their first game, Pong, which is the arcade Pong. The, the console Pong would not come out for a few more years. There was like four months in that spread, too. Like right. Atari formed in June, and like Pong was out in October. Right. right. That's amazing. Yeah. Like as a, as a playable, marketable machine. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, the Magnavox Odyssey, which was the first home gaming console. And then we also have uh, sort of a revolutionary uh, game as far as like interactive fiction slash adventuring slash RPGs is Hunt the Wumpus, 1972. I saw that name and I didn't do, I've never, I had never heard of it before. So only what I've read about it recently. And I know it uh, is sort of the predecessor to games like Zork mm-hmm. and uh, things like that, where it's sort of like. It's There's not, always a predecessor to those games. Like, yeah. it's like oh, every yeah. time I think about Zork, it's like Colossal Cave and now like Hunt the Wumpus. And like, like um, mm-hmm. Ultima has a Calabeth. So do you guys want to talk about the founding of Atari? Um, I'm sure Chris can speak to this. He's sort of our historian for this episode. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping this all on your shoulders. <laughs> if I'm the historian two, two guys, on the show about history. There's Ted, what is it that you Ted three Dabney, are? right? I okay. let people talk. And uh, Nolan Bushnell. Yeah. And they, yeah. they were at uh, Nutting and Associates. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and apparently Bushnell just played a Magnavox Odyssey in like April of that year. That's right, and he was yeah. not impressed. But well, I mean, well no, he was. Well, he, he just thought he could make money off of it. Yeah. They had, they had, they had uh, basically. Um, so they were, they were working at yeah at this company, Nutting and Associates, right? And, uh, and which also and had made was, a game. We should mention. Well, Bushnell was was putting together with them a version of the game Space War. Mm-hmm. He his his sort of flash of inspiration was he is you know he used to like work on boardwalks and see things like pinball machines and, and such. And that's where like, he became a carny. And like and seriously, he, this guy right. has so many elements of carnyism. I mean, he like makes. <laughs> Like illusory companies to like mask his own. Company sure, he had a uh, he's he a hustler. He, he had a carny background, yeah. right? Um, and so he had gone to the University of Utah and he had played uh, Space War, which was an early, you know, the early computer game. Essentially, it was played on this like at that time, you know, it cost like twenty thousand dollars to to buy one, and that was after the price had come down significantly. Have you guys played a PDP computer. ten? Never played a PDP one. I've only I seen know the one at, a, at the 
the Computer History Museum in San Jose, and sometimes yeah. they let people play it. Right? Well, apparently, sometimes uh, Steve Russell, who was one of the guys who programmed that game, actually goes. He's you know he's still alive. He goes down to the Computer History Museum and he hangs out there and he gives demonstrations of it. Yeah, we got to do that uh, for Retronauts lunch. That'd be great. We should kill trip. Yeah, cool. yeah. Let's and find out what he's going to be doing for that. There. Live podcast. So, uh, but Bushnell wanted to essentially put together a uh, an arcade version of that, figuring that like you know crossing that with a pinball machine, he could make a whole bunch of money. Hmm. Um, and so he kind of started building one uh, in his house. Um, and essentially, you know, eventually this became Atari. Um, and the, that game did not do very well. But yes, as you it said, it was too complicated um, for people at the yeah. time. At the time, we have to bear in mind that everyone thinks about Pong being so simplistic, which it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was. People had never encountered really anything like this at all. It so. was like playing Asteroids, and if you think about, you know, Asteroids was a pretty complicated game. Even right. even now, it's, it's hard to start a game of Asteroids and not die. Right. At so least, I mean, uh, imagine knowing nothing about video games right. and trying to do it. At yeah. least Pong was rooted in something that we had an understanding of. A metaphor. Know, like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, before we split hairs or get go any further, I kind of want to figure this out. Like, what is the first official uh, game, like video game? Is it is it like Tennis for Two, one of those oscilloscope games? And there's like a tic tac toe before tennis, that. Exactly, I mean. Tennis for Two was one of that collection of games that mm-hmm. you know, like somebody people had done things with early computers and made yeah. games out of them, and then they were dismantled and basically forgotten about okay. until much, much, much later. In terms of you know people yeah. kind of digging up old history, trying to figure out what was the first game. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, there's no I was good just answer. Re- reading yeah. about uh, OXO, which was a tic tac toe game that was from someone's like. I believe it was like doctoral thesis or something like that in the fifties. Mm-hmm. Like you know, yeah, like probably not even publicly. Exhibited. No, no, it was, yeah. it was, it was where a space war was. Like people actually played it. They would come well, in and visit the lab yeah. and, and. But play these space these war. things were essentially predated mm-hmm. space war. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so you know, if you want to, uh, you know, space what war is was sixty two. So which puts yeah. us on the same. Yeah, there you uh, go. Okay, as well. <laughs> right, right. Um, nice. So the math know, we've the, chosen the, just luckily. The Odyssey was the first uh, home video game system. Right. Um, the first kind of commercially released arcade game was Computer Space, which okay. was Bush which is on the game. back of your little book there. The, yes. the, the yellow yeah. version Computer of it. And there, right there. And one there. recently appeared on Craigslist in San Francisco. And wow. Oh, really? It was gone within, I'd say, 30 seconds. Well, what was the asking yeah. price? It was not. And it was a picture in the corner Just, of like a cluttered garage. Wow. That never happens. <laughs> wow. That's that is crazy. quite a really cool. Yeah. And so we don't really I know how much it sold for. I offered 600, but I'm sure it went for like 14. I'm sure it went yeah. for significantly more. Yeah. But the Odyssey yeah. is uh, relatively primitive. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of the graphics of the game were dependent on overlays you put on, on your TV. Yes. Very primitive, and, in fact. Um, I'm, I'm just curious about this. Uh, were, I mean, this is a Magnavox console. Did they, the Magnavox, and they sold it at their stores only, mm-hmm. from what I understand. Did they encourage you to get the proper size TV for yeah, the correct overlays? They, 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 they marketed it like you had to have a Magnavox television, yeah. which I think probably significantly limited how mm-hmm. many they sold. Yeah, that's right? why. I mean, there was two I, sizes of Magnavox it's, TVs. It's not, it's, it's, not, it's not so much that they set on the box like you must have a magnet. people didn't understand but it right? they, they did sell it in their stores and overzealous salespeople. you know mm-hmm. um, I mean it's essentially anecdotal evidence that you know people had said look these salespeople were trying to uh, were trying to upsell people and getting them to buy a brand new Magnavox TV when they bought the system and maybe trying to create the impression in consumers well, minds well also just the fact that it was they didn't distribute it to other I mean this is again this is the past when like electronics right. companies had their own stores which is kind of the, outside the, of Apple is not typical anymore right and, right. Right. and, and, and yeah most Magnavox products were sold at just 
Magnavox stories, right? Um, one of the other issues with the Odyssey, and I think the the bigger issue besides the the sort of you know customer confusion uh, to what extent it existed, but the bigger confusion was um, it was too expensive. Uh, Ralph Baird put together the the brown box prototype of this, uh, intending for it to be sold at nineteen ninety five, and what Magnavox did is they totally over-engineered the thing uh and they put in all the overlays and like the odyssey came with poker chips oh, that's right all kinds uh, of dice cards yeah. Yeah. Dice. the football board was on the back of the money yeah thing. the football yeah. thing they put all this crap in the box and they so they could kick it up to a hundred dollars well, that's that, right i didn't think consumers would understand it or find it intrinsically appealing i don't right, think their marketing right, right. department essentially thought people aren't going to like just dots on a the screen they're going to they're yeah, not going to understand right. or enjoy this product unless we provide a traditional board game component that they can relate to and mm-hmm. apparently the Odyssey can only display uh, one line in three rectangles. Um, yeah, basically. So that's part of the yeah. reason for the overlays was also to take the very limited capacity of it and create new metaphors, you know, for the right, same right. game. Like, now Pong is hockey. Now Pong, or it wasn't right. Pong. Right, you're just it moving was, a dot around you know, the house. Now this there, is yeah. hockey. Now this is football. Right. Now this is soccer or right. whatever. You know, now it's like. a Haunted Mansion kind of game <laughs> where, you know, I don't get how that game works. It's just like the light goes behind stuff. It lights up different parts of the, um, it lights up different parts of the TV screen. And, and but it all works with the cards with and the things cards. like that. Okay. Yeah, so you're rolling the dice. It's not just the overlay in the game. Right. So very, very primitive, and it sort of reminds me of, like, the fact that the game itself exists with parts outside that are not gamey, like Dyson cards. It Mm -hmm. feels like one of those old VHS, like, board game Mm -hmm. things where you watch something and Mm -hmm. then you do something off screen or whatever. Yeah, so. This is Odyssey, the new electronic game simulator. You attach Odyssey to your television set in seconds to create a closed-circuit electronic playground. Odyssey is tennis, roulette, football and hockey, analogic, and geography. Odyssey comes complete with 12 electronic games and educational experiences. Many more are optionally available, like a shooting gallery, a prehistoric safari. Odyssey is an electronic teacher. Odyssey is a total play and learning experience for all ages. Odyssey. It's new from Magnavox. Odyssey. Uh, it's mean, significant but, aspects like two controllers, though. And what's they, that? they had like a. They oh, just, yeah, two I controllers. Mean, that's pretty cool. Uh-huh. Right. And it had um, the way the controllers operate is they have uh, X and Y axis, but they're not on the same thing, you know? So one side you're kind of turning a uh, knob, and the other side you're turning a knob. And that's I don't think that's very intuitive for no, that kind no. of thing. And, Although uh, with Pong it is. Yeah, these... you, put, you, you put English on the ball in mid flight. There was a knob for English. So, like, mm-hmm. if the ball was going in a straight line direction, you turn a knob and the ball would suddenly start curving. Yeah, I see the uh, controllers are labeled one is horizontal. One is vertical, yeah, and uh, it's really funny because before basically, which makes sense to TV engineers, yeah, <laughs> which is who made it exactly before right. the uh, the Atari twenty six hundred, which we'll get to later. Like uh, video game controllers look like like you're controlling like a sewing machine or something. I mean, mm-hmm. basically, uh, there was no grammar as far as what a controller should be, so right, they're very bizarre. Any, did anyone ever play an Odyssey? I never have. Yeah, uh, Chris, we should probably say this: you own a lot of consoles, I a do. lot of uh, video game consoles. Do you own an Odyssey? Yes, I do own okay. Odyssey. How hard is it to get up and running? I mean, I, I'm sure you can't hook it up to an HDTV. Um, and, uh, I don't think I've ever actually... T- the one that I own, I don't think I've ever actually taken it and uh, gotten it up and running. Okay. Um, it has I the have, same I have, RCA I played somebody else's. Or, um, it has the same RF switch as, as any of the old uh, TV hookups. It's, okay. it's not hard to hook up. But 
the overlays are prohibitive. I mean, like right. you're not going to be able to play you can't those put games them on your plasma TV. Yeah. I'm sure there are emulators that do all this. I've never looked into I Odyssey emulators. I don't know emulators. if there's Odyssey emulation. Hmm. There shouldn't be because what's you know you got to have your overlays and your game boards and stuff. Well, I'm sure you can. You can <laughs> I don't simulate I don't all know that if, stuff. I don't know if there's anything on the Odyssey that's done with a with a uh, not a microprocessor, but a, that's that's done with like a ROM chip. Oh, that's I right. I don't um, think there's code in the Odyssey. Yeah. I think it's all just done with transistors. Oh, that's true. So I don't think you can actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can't emulate it. You could emulate it in the sense that someone could f- completely recreate its behavior from exactly. scratch. Exactly, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So in mm-hmm. the sense that you can't emulate it, you could emulate yes. it. Which yeah. would be really cool, because then you could just draw your overlays on. <laughs> so yeah, that is uh, 1972. So we have the founding mm-hmm. of Atari, the release of Magnavox Odyssey, and Hunt the Wumpus are the most notable events. Anybody else have anything to add for this for 72? I, I wish I was there. Born. It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> for five more years I, I should also is what I have to add. <laughs> that um, this book that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curbing from, it starts in 72, which is, the, I guess, for all intents and purposes, like I said, the first console was released. The so. first video game machine. Yeah, exactly. That's a lot bigger deal, I think. There are a lot yes. of huge things in 77. 77 um, is big. 77 is, is also the first year that I took notes for prior to this podcast. So. <laughs> uh, let me go over what I have, and then we can see where we're going to break it down from mm-hmm. here. So I have uh, a lot of gaming platforms. We have the Tandy TRS-80, uh, the Apple II. Yeah, the Apple II is a big one. Uh, mm-hmm. The Commodore PFT, uh, the Atari BCS, mostly yep. known as the Atari 2600. There we go. And the uh, Nintendo's Color TV game, which I yeah. believe was their first uh, game console, and there were five unique versions of those. Yeah, and it was a it was a dedicated system, which means that it just played versions of... Uh, Pong, you know, yeah, we should talk in the, in. what happened in the intervening years, which is that for the for the first until that era, you know, once Pong hit in the arcades, people companies started making dedicated consoles that played one game or a right. selection of slightly modified yes. versions of that one game, and no interchangeable cartridges. Like you can go to Sears and get your Pong machine or whatever. And despite yeah. having cartridge-like things, Odyssey was that. Too, like it was not programmable. It was right. just right. It, it was it not just, programmable. Yeah, yeah. It it did in fact have cartridges that you would swap in and out but all those cartridges would do is essentially like change the the the, the pinouts or you know change the way the, the jumpers the, uh, but it also, the, yeah exactly it, right right it didn't they come with the system they weren't sold in the aftermarket weren't they They actually did sell cartridges oh, in did. the aftermarket because yeah, there ended yeah. up being like 25 or something yeah. more than the, everything was built into the system essentially it was yeah, just the yeah. cartridge was just uh pe- you know a piece of electronics telling the system how to behave okay. you know right yeah. rather than uh, containing uh, a new game but you could program games for the, it uh, all those dedicated systems were just really expensive to develop and so the Atari was kind of like a workaround to not have to develop a dedicated system like you could make this one game or this one system that could 
play a bunch of cheap software. Which yeah, is Atari cool, yeah. did not envision when the. Okay, so first of all, I mean, we should be clear if you're, you know, longtime listeners of Retronauts will know the Atari VCS was not the first uh, programmable video game yeah, the system, Fairchild right? It was the Fairchild right. uh, VCS, or excuse me. Fairchild F, right? Uh, Channel well, F. Well, Channel F, but it was called something before that. It was the uh, video entertainment system, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was that came out in 71. That was the first programmable system, and that was the first system to use. Wait, 71? Um, Do you mean. I, I believe it was 71, or excuse me, sorry, 76? Yeah, yeah sorry. 76. Sorry, too. I'm still in 1972 mm-hmm. mode. So it came out in 1976. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, and it, that was the first one to have code, computer code, on a you know read-only memory chip, uh, which you could write, and then the game would uh, the the machine would execute that code as opposed to um, simply being built of you know solid-state hardware. And Atari was aware of it. They they thought totally. of them as competition. Yeah, and what Atari did not see when the when the when the VCS when it released the VCS or the Atari Twenty Six Hundred as they would later call it, um, they did not envision. Although they created, they did not envision the video game market as it is today. They did not see like you would make this console and you would just have this one console on the market for five years and then you'd keep making games for it. They saw it as just an extension of the dedicated system line, but as you said, a way of taking the cost of the games out of the system and then kind of selling them separately. They figured they'd bring out the VCS, sell it for the 1977 Christmas season, um, and then maybe get one more Christmas out of it and then move on to the next thing. Um, but what they did not envision was they would bring this thing out and then continue to program software for it until the mid eighties. Yeah, hung in there for a long time. And they assumed yeah. the software would all look like Pong. Mm. I mean, we're right, talking about right, ten too, years yeah. of yep. the same game. Only Atari makes the world's most popular home video games. The only Space Invaders. The only Asteroids. The only Pac-Man. The only Missile Command. And soon, the only Defender. And the only way you can play any of them is on a home video system made by Atari. Have you Atari today? Yep, you know, that, that was what they envisioned. They built it to be able to handle two paddles and a ball, or at the most, four paddles and a ball, you know, or two tanks and two bullets, you know, and, yeah. that, was, and that was that. Um, and so everything for the, the VCS, and this is, this is summarized in a, a really great book called Racing the Bean oh, by yeah. Ian Bogost. Um, I mean, everything for the VCS that doesn't involve two paddles and a ball or two tanks and missiles shooting at each other uh, was a hack. It was essentially <laughs> something that a designer had to, come, had to think out of the box and, like, come up with some arcane way of doing that. And we saw that, actually, I was just talking to you, I, I met you, I think, for the first yes. time at the David Crane thing, and he showed all his graphical elements that uh, were repeated that you would never notice, yeah. like the tops of the trees were mm-hmm. parts of Pitfall Harry. Oh, wow. And uh, there's yeah, all this symmetry. Yeah, you tons of stuff like that. There's, right. a, there's an interesting thing, too, if, I think you could probably watch this online, uh, Ed Freeze has given his talk on Halo 2600. Ed Freeze oh, used yeah. to oh, be the... I think the, I saw that, yeah. He was, uh, what was his... One of the heads uh, of He was the one of the original Xbox founders edition. of Xbox. He was like the head yeah. of, 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 of like first-party publishing during the early days of xbox one mm-hmm. and he helped create the system and and he, he ended up leaving microsoft and stuff happened to him and at some point he decided to create halo for yep. the 2600 as a mm-hmm. pet project and i saw him give that talk at uh at, uh in montreal uh, in 2010 and uh it, yeah, it was fascinating and he had to learn all those tricks and he really, used the yeah. two tank tank structure for it yeah though, right yes right. it is just two little Little yeah. enemies. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean, it, it is it is fascinating to to listen to somebody talk about the making of an Atari Twenty Six Hundred game because you, as a layperson, can understand it. 
You know, it can actually be mm. put into terms that me, not being a video game programmer at all, can understand exactly what the kind of logic process mm. was that they used to make right. all these things happen. Because uh, those games are all under, what, 2K of uh, memory? They could act, oh, well, I think it was limited to like two or four. I think it was limited yeah, to well, 4K. Yeah, they eventually came up with a te- like technique called, I think it was called bank, bank switch switching, switching mm. where yeah. they could load in and out chunks of memory. But yeah, okay. the, the, the system was so, like, like Chris was saying, because it was not designed to yeah. be what it became, it, it, it's, it's, Capabilities were just so restricted, right? And because it was so open ended, though, because one of the, I mean, basically, one of the reasons why they were able to do this was um, if they thought this was going to be a, a high end kind of a device, they would have put in essentially a frame buffer, which is what every other, literally every other video game system has. Hmm. The, the, it draws the screen, then it puts the screen up, then it draws the screen, then it puts the screen up, right? Because they cheaped out and didn't put that in there because they were trying to make this thing as low cost as possible, it just draws the screen line by line by line by line. Then when it gets to the bottom of the screen, it goes back to the top and starts redrawing it. Hmm. But when it starts redrawing it, all the stuff at the bottom is still there. So that is the exploit. That's the key exploit. And that was kind of the key insight as, as far as those publisher, as far as those developers went like, oh, well, okay. That's why you can make the tops of the trees in Pitfall, Pitfall Harry. Because Pitfall Harry is still there, even though you're drawing him again on the top of the screen. Mm. You can't do that with anything else. The Intellivision, everything that followed, you cannot do that trick. You're limited to what you can show on one full screen. Right. And you yeah. mentioned uh, the price, which is something I want to bring up. Like, uh, until relatively recently, gaming was a, uh, a rich man's hobby. Uh, mm. The Atari, uh, well, I mean, I mean, we're, we're about to hit the world of like a lot of dedicated PC platforms, and sure. they are very, very pricey yeah. um okay the the vcs was 200 dollars, mm-hmm. which was i don't know the equivalent of today's like maybe what would you say like 500 400 something something it was like certainly that. the first i mean you know yeah i mean it, it was pretty expensive it's probably yeah. on, on par with like uh i'm guessing like when the 360 launched or whatever mm-hmm. but, but a lot uh, of people spent that money right right yeah. and well, uh, a lot more people spent it once like space invaders and arcade ports came out but i think that's the the for the launch like man it, it must have been a tough sell yeah. yeah a lot of people i don't think bought it early on i think you know as like we were talking about like chris has said what became the 2600 you know what wasn't mm-hmm. called the 2600 at first a lot of people, I think, don't have their memories of playing the system from 1977. Oh no! Again, like, yeah, um, not that many people. We didn't on have it. a lot of money when I was a kid, and mm-hmm. I got it like in 1985, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sure it was like well under 100 dollars by then. Oh yeah, and the games right. were super, super, super cheap. Right. Um, right. But like comparison, I mean, these are these are dedicated computers. Some of these, so maybe the price comparisons aren't fair. But like other uh, gaming platforms, the Tandy TRS 80, which is also 77, was 600 dollars, mm-hmm. and then we have but the you can Apple. Store your recipes on it <laughs> and your grocery list. And and uh, the Apple II was, I think, $1,300. Yeah, the Apple II and wasn't cheap. These are like... Recipes. I'm like, did people have more, a lot more money? I'm guessing they did because, God, who could afford a, that much money for a computer <laughs> in 1977? Well, like, again, it, the, when the, the same thing is with, you know, when things launched. I mean, this is kind of a long story, but, you know, the Apple II at the time was probably not being bought by immediately right. by that many people. It was people made for, until, like, Steve Jobs' friends. <laughs> like, hey, yeah, I mean, it, this thing for you guys. It, it, yes, it, it did start with people who had a whole you know a lot of more disposable and businesses income. as well for right. computers you can't right. i mean it was a personal computer in the sense it was mm-hmm. the, one of the computers that kicked off the personal computer revolution and right. brought them into homes and everything right but right a lot more people were also you know if we're going to have 80s computers which is sort of a digression the c64 mm-hmm. was more of a consumer product than right the Apple II. yeah and the prices dropped a lot more since then but it didn't take a, it didn't take very long for prices to drop such that you know uh, most middle class homes in america were looking at getting some kind of personal right, computer. Right. there yeah. was always a, a premium you could charge for a personal computer versus as a video game system, though, because video games were toys, and they were toys forever until they became media centers very recently. Right, right. Yeah. and you just can't charge that much for a Personal toy. computers 
were fundamentally toys. Yes. Like, people were buying but the them way they were to able play to sell video games on them. Was different. People were like, oh, we're going to do our checkbooks on this. Nobody fucking did their checkbooks <laughs> on their Atari XE. It didn't happen. You just wrote your check because it would take you 10 times as long to yeah. freaking print I think the once word processing out. became yeah. a, a common thing on computers, that then there was a legitimate reason to have one at home. We'll do our yeah. household budget. You just bought a Coleco Atom. Like, you clearly have no concept of what money is worth. You're not going to do your budget on the freaking thing. Um, like, we mentioned the VCS really hung in there as a system. Um, the freaking Apple II, which I just mentioned, also released in 77, uh, they were using those in public schools and private schools up until the mid to late 90s, because yep. at least my cheap-ass uh, private school did. Had, Absolutely. like, Apple IIs. I mean, we were still playing Apple II games, and at least up to, like, we 95. Had, oh, yeah. We had, we had yeah. Apple IIs when I was, like... 10 or 11 years old in mm-hmm. like a sixth, you know, fifth or sixth grade. Oh, right. Yeah. We Which is using, what year? Um, it was like 91, 92. Okay. Yeah. We used, well, yeah, I think we, they, we think they manufactured it till 94. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, I'm sure school, got, school's got a big discount, but at the time I had no idea that technology was so old, you know, when I was playing like <laughs> number incredible. munchers or word munchers. Well, or whatever. The, the yeah. Apple IIe was a couple years later and that's probably what, that's what really yeah. hit the Apple IIe. So, right. But um, what, one thing I wanted to mention about the Apple II, and I think we need to do a whole episode about this, so I don't want to linger on it too long, but one of the big things that brought us was kind of the video game RPG. Yeah. I mean, without the Apple II, we would not have, uh, you know, Ultima or Wizardry, which is what basically everything in the universe draws from um, since sure. then to make their RPGs. So I think that's an important thing to, to note as far as Apple II goes. Mm. Um, so do you guys have any other Apple II or maybe VCS before we move on to other 1977 um, things? I don't. I have memories. I don't know. Okay. If, you know, I've played them both extensively. Christian. I mean, I. I, uh, I, I mean, Atari. Atari 2600 was the first game system I got. Right. Me probably too. about. I want to say eighty-two or something. Okay. I was really little, and um, I was born in seventy-seven, the same as the Atari and the mm-hmm. Apple. So, so that's, a, that's another anniversary. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a little bit uh, you know, you, you, pompous. Yeah, no, but I, no, I, I just, I just, you know, that was the, 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 the fun thing. You know, like we all knew the crash was happening. I mean, we didn't know the crash was happening when we were kids. We just knew that games were hella cheap, and that was awesome. Right. Yeah. So a lot of fond memories of like it was like, do you want a Matchbox car or do you want an Atari game? Mm-hmm. You know, I, when yeah, I, you exactly. Know. I remember going to a, a flea market and like as a child with a child's budget, able to take home a big bag of Atari games just oh, because yeah. no one wanted them. Right. But yeah. that, that's so more uh, for the future. Because that's, not, yeah. that's not crash time. That's right. something yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 but you yeah. know, that's, that's, right. that's, a, that's just sort of, the Atari is just a, has a very fond place in my heart. I don't really have much to, more insightful to say about it as a, mm-hmm. no, I mean, as a product. Mean, There's a lot of good resources also, as Chris yeah. pointed out, for reading about it. Right. Indeed. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, actually, um, I mean, you know, speaking of which, David Crane actually did a couple of iPhone apps called 2600 Magic in which he, uh, in an interactive manner, describes some of these tricks and lets mm-hmm. you kind of like, it's kind of mm-hmm. like looking at a little museum exhibit where it's they tell you all about it and then they give you this sort of little interactive thing to oh, cool. drag around yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's neat 2600 magic we have cool. the 2600 for a joystick popularity too right i mean that, that no there was really bad control inputs up until that the, the the essentially the joystick for right. the 2600 um, and, but, but the 2600 joystick ain't that great <laughs> no it's not but it's a joystick <laughs> it's the closest as opposed thing to, to a yeah. dial and it's fun, you know, it's fun to chew on as or actually yeah. in in 77 also rca released the rca studio 2 um which was a which was a programmable uh, video game system, um, and di- and actually, it was controlled entirely uh, by two number pads that were <laughs> built into the built into the console. Wow, how lame is that? Just awful. Sit over a, a typewriter or just to play your game or, or like a, a calculator. It's yeah. like really, a calculator. really, truly terrible. Yeah, 
No, I mean the. I mean we had a ways to go as far as controls went, but uh, twenty six hundred was the first thing that actually looks like something you would have for a video game, you know, system at, at home. Yeah, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think uh, by that point joysticks weren't even. In were they the in the arcade? arcade? Were no, they? okay, not in seventy eight. Uh, I mean, they were yeah. for, the, for a couple of the games. Like I know. Um, I'd written down Boot Hill for that year, which had a joystick. Right, and mm. I was thinking Space Invaders. That's seventy eight. Yeah, it's yeah. seventy eight. Space Invaders and even buttons, Space Invaders. Okay. Yeah, it had buttons. Oh, you're right. And then it had a little, so. it had yeah, a the little switch thing yeah. on the cocktails. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, so of course, yeah. I mean, the joystick was invented for an arcade game, and I wish I could remember, you know, which one that is. But well, there's joysticks that go back to control industrial equipment and stuff. I mean, sure. But yeah, right, I mean, right. Right. Yeah. Um, but the joystick in the Atari was pretty stinky. Yeah, it was. Um, and I all mean, my friends had the top broken it, off, like the rubber was broken off, that, and they had the yeah, uh, oh, yeah. they had the, just the white plastic. I think it's because or the, uh, the dog had chewed on the end. No, I think them. some people said it was better that way. Like some you know, people swore at least oh, kids. Oh, they would remove it. Yeah, they would intentionally it remove it. Just slides the, off. Yeah. Yeah. That thing, I will t- I will say this about that joystick: it took a hell of a lot of abuse. It did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, you see a lot of missing the rubber thing instantaneously. Yeah, exactly. Or like the Atari fifty two hundred joysticks, which broke instantaneously. Oh yeah, those Atari joysticks people really treated him badly and they stood up to it yeah just like a, a nintendo pad you know and like that what's interesting to me always is that uh the switch from controlling directionally with your right hand to the nes d-pad uh everybody made that at some point you mm-hmm. know everybody would control the games with their right hand with their right and now every yeah. it's universal to mm-hmm. control direction with your left hand mm-hmm. yeah thanks to nintendo the pad was a big innovation do you guys right. ever get confused when you get up to a pac-man or a burger time machine and just like as far as I which can, one i can kind do. of play both like, it doesn't matter to me. Oh, that's right. They have the buttons on either side, right? Well, you don't go I think I go right hand when I'm in front of an arcade machine. Isn't like, that interesting? Even though, right, like, right, you would right. never do that. Oh, you're right. I never thought of that. If yeah. You, and if yeah. you emulate, like, when I played Pac-Man Championship Edition, mm-hmm. um, I felt a little weirded out because I'm really used to playing Pac-Man in an arcade machine. And I was like, oh, I have to do it with my left hand. So I got an arcade stick. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah, I never tried it like that. Mm-hmm. Good point. Uh, so, yeah, 77. Uh, other stuff that happened is the first Electronics Boutique open really and um which is now i guess in the game stop yeah GameStop GameStop family yeah. yes as, family. as is babbage's <laughs> i use you should use family in this as is almost as every single chain we will mention Funko software etc everything yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um and the i first... didn't know they scooped at babbage's that's, that's yeah. sad yeah, yeah. Uh, what would charles babbage think he hmm, i don't know isn't that like a bracelet you could buy to 1982 okay this is basically the prelude to the video game crash and you're about to find out why because <laughs> nine billion uh dedicated gaming platforms came out let's go over them really quick but the flip can... to that as a summary of this year also is that it's like the best arcade year right right the arcade was so uh, home consoles flourishing. are gonna go away maybe for a little bit but right arcades are super flourishing and it will also go away eventually but right so let's really quickly go over what came out in 82 uh we have the cbs coleco vision and the coleco atom we have the Entex Adventure Vision. If you've never heard of that, I only found Ooh. out about it today. Um, we have the GCE Vectrex. We have the Emerson Arcadia 2001, the Sinclair Spectrum, the Acorn BBCB, <laughs> the Commodore 64, the VTech Creative Vision, Atari 5200, and the Sharp X1. And out of all of these, I think maybe two were successful. 
Yeah, uh, the which, Spectrum which would those be? and oh, the Commodore yeah. 64. Probably. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's what I would say. And only one was truly awesome, and that's the Vectrex. <laughs> the Vectrex was really cool. So, yeah, I, I mean... I was fond for the ClicoVision. I have a real fondness for yeah, the ClicoVision anyway. good. The best console company by uh, console by a leather company mm-hmm. ever to exist. 1982 was when everybody kind of went all in getting ready for the crash. Right. Like, just did yeah. a whole bunch of shit uh, that, that essentially would cause well, the video game industry to just go to the bathroom a year later. It yeah, this, like is the, uh, this is the year of VT. That is the year ET came out in theaters. That's right. and I believe yeah. it may be the year that the VCS game came out. Oh, it was. It is, yeah. Christmas. Oh, it was. Christmas, yeah. Because, because infamously programmed in... Uh, Six weeks? 55 days, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Six weeks. I have this yeah. weird, like, corollary between 1982 and maybe, like, some point in the mid 90s like 95 where there are all these things just flooding the market i'm really surprised we didn't have another crash at that point when uh like in like 94 95 we did i mean we essentially did was there like a mini crash that no one really there was a mini crash people did pick up on it okay um but but the thing was that by by that point the video game industry was so big that like what what happened with the crash wasn't so much that like everybody's bottom line dropped and a bunch of companies went into the red and they all went bankrupt, which right. they did. But everybody, like retail buyers, you know, everybody freaked out and were like, "Video games are dead," and they stopped buying. Yeah. Like, or that it was, they were it was a fad. Or the, and yeah, right. exactly. Just like, go the video game fad is over, and yeah. the industry is dead. Let's let's move on to the next big thing, and not video games. Which is probably so why. What, uh, what happens is. Oh, sorry. All the, all the, the buyers stopped buying games, mm-hmm. so it kind of snowballs. In 94, 95, everybody knew that video games weren't dead. Right. right? They so weren't companies anywhere. went out of business. Big games bombed. A lot, of, a lot of bad shit happened. A lot of people lost a lot of money because there were all this, this money getting thrown into, you know, bad projects or black holes. But uh, nobody closed up shop and said, video games are over. I'm getting out of here. Right. Yeah. And uh, that, that thing you said about, you know, uh, we weren't sure if video games were going to be around forever. Like Coleco, when the ColecoVision failed or whatever you want to say happened to it, they made Cabbage Patch Kids. So like, yeah, yeah that, let's, that was let's, how go, let's go was, make a fed. Well, what they did was yeah. they, what was it everybody did, was they all moved into personal computers. Mm. Every, and, and with varying success, to varying yeah, degrees think of it's success. It's probably worth mentioning instead that, that Coleco, not the Cabbage, because Cabbage Patch Kids were all... Just simultaneous. I don't think that there's any. I don't think there's a cause and effect relationship between the ClicoVision, yeah. but there was a cause and effect relationship, as Chris is saying, between the ClicoVision the and the Atom, the right, right. the computer for the ClicoVision. Yeah, yes. that was, So people thought that video games were an intermediary product. That the, you had the video game systems, but now that you can have a personal, if you got to have a personal computer, why would you want a video game system? It does all the things the video game system does and more. Futurists are looking and saying, oh, every home is going to have a personal computer very soon, so they'll just have that personal computer. That will take care of all of their needs. You're not going to need these sort of dedicated video game only devices. They're a relic. They're a thing of the past. Um, they're like you know transistor radios. When and salespeople at stores were telling you know parents like why buy your kid an Atari when you can buy them a X yeah. Y or Z It'll computer help you go to college and all yeah. that right. stuff. Yeah. So yeah. The Atari X Y Z computer. You know? Something interesting <laughs> happened around then too, in which the VCS was finally outdated like arcade games were much better than the vcs at the time and it was still porting games that just wouldn't work on it so there was not a viable home console that wasn't a computer that was really expensive Well, there was the 5200 but it didn't really make any waves uh that was also 82 would you have trusted atari after then uh no (laughs) no and and, and that was it i mean everybody was just so high that they were just like oh my god we're gonna make this and we're gonna make that we're gonna make this other thing i also believe that i think if I recall correctly, well, that was three con- conditionals. Uh, that the uh, 5200 was, they decided internally at Atari, you know, slash Warner Communications at that point, I believe, to uh, not make the 5200 affordable because they were terrified of killing off their 2600 business. Right. We can actually yeah, so, look that up. 
Go this was it. the this was the first uh, time that anybody had attempted a generational hardware shift. Nobody had done this before, so nobody really knew what to do. The most earth-shattering deep down. The most realistic just. Whole position at its best. Only the Atari 5200 Super System plays them. Moon Patrol with arcade graphics. Real sports baseball. You're out. Only on Super System. 2600 games, the adapter plays them all. The Atari 5200 Super System. Its only competition is you. So People they had reiterated on their hardware, but they hadn't done it. This it hadn't had a successful system for long enough the, to do it. This was the first attempt at like trying to convince consumers, okay, you're done with this game system now, migrate over to this other one. Yeah. They should have called it the Super Atari. It would have worked. <laughs> or the, or yeah, the seventy eight hundred. Yeah. Oh, right. Why the hell not? Mm-hmm. The so, multiples of sixteen hundred were very strange to me. I never really got what the, the deal is with that. Nobody really understood to, that they needed to. Um, to, to like focus on one thing, you know, yeah. they, this idea that you would just kind of throw out all these different products and people would just sort of buy whichever one was the best for them. And, you yeah. know, it just doesn't work that way. You have to really narrow your focus down to something, which is why Atari had the 5200. And then like a couple of years later was ready to release the Atari 7800. I mean, it was just, I don't think it was just a different type of technology. Like I just finished reading the Steve Jobs biography a little mm-hmm. while ago. At the same time, you know, it's like, Around the same time, the, the, like the Macintosh and the Lisa were in development in the same company at the same yeah. time. Companies just didn't have this, we will have a simple product line that makes sense to people. They're like, different people had different projects. And, and, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't the same kind of corporate philosophy That's what it landscape. sounds like, like yeah. a communication between you know, different sides of a company. Yeah, mm-hmm. but 1982 is, I, wonder if, I don't know if you have a list. Does anyone like bring up like Atari age or anything? Like what year has the most bloated release schedule for the 2600? And I would guess 82 is quite, it was well, probably a contender. Well, I mean, actually 83, I mean, there yeah, were tons and tons of 82 or 83 would probably out. have to be the, the two contenders for the most blo- I remember like, right. like the, the fun examples of, you know, like that is an interesting uh, Atari question. 2600 games are like things like, you know, like Chase the Chuck Wagon based on dog food. And I had <laughs> Towering Inferno, which was made, which is based yeah. on the movie, which was made by US Games, which was quick Oats uh, yep. video game subsidiary, wow, which is amazing. A, pretty... a lot of the a lot of the crazy shit was E3. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. What were the games priced at before they became super cheap? I only remember them uh, being like super 30 cheap. Bucks. Yeah, like thirty, thirty-five so they bucks. They never like yeah. hit the fifty range. Then, no, like, no, no, no I, I remember. Don't remember that, but anyway. you also remember the thirty-five bucks again to talk about. Yeah, you know, yeah, inflation yeah, was, was a lot more money back then. Lot, Sixty. Yeah. Now sure. And part of the problem was that these games were, you know. A lot of them were so bad that like people would come back to the stores and complain about them, mm-hmm. and this was kind of a new experience again for stores to deal with the idea of like, you know, people, you know, this was you know Is sort of broken? home video was <laughs> yeah. taking no, it's, off. It's not you know, yeah. people were not this this whole idea of someone buy something that yeah. would be terrible and they'd come back yeah. and say, this and then piece video of game reviewers stepped in, <laughs> yeah, so uh, saved everyone. That's forever. a good point, Christian. Like this is the first time you could return something for not being fun. I yeah, mean, seriously. It's like, this yeah, I mean, I'm fun. sure you know Toys R Us or whatever had to deal with some, but yeah, I mean, there's like a huge flood of bad games, and then you know the the retailers had to discount games, and like another thing that's probably worth mentioning, at least I believe this is how it worked, and I'd probably have to d- verify it, but like you know back then, like you know, retailers would buy them from wholesalers or whatever, and and the relationship wasn't the same. Now when like a, when retailers drop the price in a game, there's there's the companies you know give them credit and stuff to right, make up right. for the price drops and yeah. stuff. I don't think the system worked the same back mm-hmm. then because the relationship between retailers and wholesalers and publishers wasn't the right. same. Yeah, you there could like also, lose your shirt on an entire Christmas season worth of Pac-Man games. There were also a lot of games that were supposed to be cheap. I mean, a lot of the mm-hmm. really bad games came out and they were, I mean, the, the MSRP was $10. Um, yeah. And the problem is that they were distracting people away from the good games that people had spent a lot of money designing. Yeah, um, I mean, that's the thing, especially if you're buying something for your kids, right? If you're like mom, dad, like going to the mall, like I have to buy... Billy, little Billy, or 
little Christian or whoever mm-hmm. a, a video game, you know, it's like, oh, look, there's the cheap one. You know what I mean? I'm sure that's that's how the DS market, you know, thrives right, too, or right. the Wii. You know, that's you see that effect more sharply on the DS and Wii than you do on like the the, the other consoles. This even still because it's still parents just like buying shit like the checkout line at Target rather than actually buying something that they you know right. researched. And I, and I remember uh, as a kid uh, seeing Atari cartridges in, in dollar stores. Just like a huge bit oh, of yeah. them. Bo- oh, yeah. Box, box new, not like loose cartridges or anything right. like that. So. Well, what I also remember is just, you saw Atari cartridges everywhere. Like, just random ass stores would, I mean, it must have been, you know, in retrospect, that wholesalers were just taking on loads of unsold ones and yeah. just trying to, like, get them through every retail channel they could just to get, you know, just selling them pennies on the dollar or whatever. Right. Uh, like, I know, remember in random... addition to that, there was arcade machines everywhere. They'd yeah. be in the airport, they'd be yeah, in yeah, gas yeah. stations. Mm-hmm. Like, there was this ubiquity of video games. But I do though, feel this so weird. It might not have been yeah. business related I feel negatively. Like I mean, I feel like it's true. Yeah, some of the, but I remember cheap Atari games. Like I would go, like my parents would take me to like gift shops in like the middle of you know, in like the Poconos, which is like a super touristy area of Pennsylvania, and they would like, like the gift shop with like scented candles, and then then just a shelf with a couple of Atari games oh, on great. it for like two bucks because yeah. they're just I guess there's so just, many of them. Yeah, they're just floating a nice around. Sandalwood right, candle right. and ET. Yeah, which yeah. also came out in '82, uh, along with a very infamous uh, Pac-Man port. Yes, I had mm, a feeling which, that was '82 as well. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, was Ooh. that Howard Scott Warshaw? Or is it somebody else? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. The, wait, no, sorry. Pac-Man? Uh, or? Pac-Man, No, yeah. Pac-Man was Todd Fry. Okay, and uh, yeah. was that even less of a development time than um, than E.T.? It's very similar. Pac-Man was a couple of months. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I do want to say that, uh, I don't know... It was uh, not the craziness of E.T., but it was... They, right. They, they did, it, he did it pretty quickly. And it goes back to what we were saying about the system not being designed to draw mm-hmm. a, you yeah. know, a maze of dots, four ghost monsters, mm-hmm. and a Pac-Man. When are you want to play Pac-Man, I'll show you, Grandpa. Pac-Man is a video game cartridge you have to buy separately to play on the Atari video computer system. Your parents hook it up to the TV. Those are supposed to be the ghosts after Pac-Man. Watch out, Grandpa. Stick with me. You'll get the hang of it. This is the Atari video computer system. Pac-Man and other video game cartridges are each sold separately. I don't think that most of the people who are buying Pac-Man Reserve 600 were purists and like to that extent. And even if you're not, it's a bad version of it, right. which is what yeah, created yeah. a huge. I problem. do want to uh, talk about ET because as someone, as a kid who just would get like uh, buckets of 2600 games and just like pop one in, I have no idea what this is. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I pop it out. Like on that level, ET was not a bad game. If you're comparing it to other 2600 games, though it's it was, incomprehensible, it was really, it was, it's extremely incomprehensible. There's no way of knowing what you, what you can do unless you read the instructions. But I do want to say that, or why you're in a pit, or why you're in a pit. But mm-hmm. like, if you compare it to the mess of terrible games that were out at the time, it was part, kind of like on par with the just awfulness. I of agree. The, that's the, what, the I think it gets a bad rap, but they printed so many and so many got returned. That's the problem. Right. That's, it's yeah, not I that mean, it's much worse than yeah. anything else. They made more copies of Pac-Man than there were Atari 2600s in existence <laughs> at the time because they by felt a like wide margin. So too. By millions. Yeah, by literal, yeah. Everybody with a console would buy it, and then more people would buy a console just to have it. And quite frankly, they were going to sell a lot of these things. And they right? did, but they thought it was something it was like, like they made. I think they made like, like seven, ten million, and they made and they sold seven or something. Yeah, and, and, and that, 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 that would have been the ones like, that got returned. Yeah. Yeah. Biggest, best Atari twenty six hundred game in terms of sales ever. Mm-hmm. But they overshot it by such a ridiculously yeah. uh, wide margin that yeah. And again, you know. I mean, it's 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 kind of important to note in a lot of these cases, like with the Odyssey and everything like that. Like they they didn't know they didn't know right. what to do. It's not like they were stupid. It's that this had never happened before. Yeah. Um, and so they so were they definitely just really aggressive. Weren't sure and, what to do. And yeah. Very overly aggressive and not pr- business prudent. I don't think that right. any. I don't know. But you know, this this industry is built on people being overly aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. 
maybe not being <laughs> marketing know, people from Warner who didn't throw it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Who do who know who didn't people, people know taking idea big that. risks and having yeah, them. That's pay for off, sure. Oh, yeah, that, that's for sure. We that's do have to move sure. on shortly, but I did want to mention uh, Sam brought this up earlier. Golden time for the arcade. We have Dude, uh, if there was one year to walk into an arcade, it was nineteen eighty two. Do you have a list of games, Sam? I do. I have like a lot, but he doesn't First of all, no, let me point out Tron came out that summer. Right, right. Yeah. That's the first movie that's completely arcade exploitation. The only I mean it's incredible. And uh that and Tron the game amazing about, um, predated the movie. The they put it out Fighter. as a promotional thing. Was that pre Tron Last Starfighter? So Last Starfighter is like eighty six. Okay, think. cool. Um and then Pac-Man Fever was that year. It wasn't the year that Pac-Man came out. Pac-Man Fever, the album and the craze was in eighty two. Hmm. And that's when the cartoon was and the serial and everything. So Buckner and Garcia's big hit. Uh uh Pac Man Fever. Yeah, Gary Garcia, rest in peace, he just died that's two right. months ago. Mm-hmm. Um it's a great album. I highly recommend it. But uh, there's it's some on great... Rock Band Network. It is. You can perform the songs. Uh, Those guys re-recorded every track. They did almost perfectly oh, wow. because yeah. they couldn't get uh, Columbia to yeah. give them the rights wow. to their own music. Yep. So let me give you a list of some arcade hits from that year. Burger Time, mm-hmm. my, probably my personal fave after Star Wars. Uh, Dig Dug. Um, Baby Pac-Man, which is the Ooh. well, that's the pinball. Yeah, one, yeah that's you know. the crappy, interesting creepy, idea. but very interesting. And I have very fun. actually, it was one of those games that I always I don't has it ever shown up at California Exchange yeah, every year. Yeah, it's, yeah. not Wait. every year because I've looked for it. I guess the last two years it's been that. It's the only time. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's 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 a it's a really fun game. It's actually the it is the like arcade collector's nightmare because all those pinball parts are like yeah. are, they're they're tailor made. Uh, and so if one breaks and they will break, you can't just order a new part from a pinball supply place that you can from every other pinball game. Some guy's manufacturing some of the art and stuff right now, so maybe they'll get into it, but it's also oh, yeah, not a maybe. common game. You have to find yeah. a baby Pac-Man blacksmith. Oh, it's, it's, to it's, like, it's very yeah. difficult to find. It's well, very, Well, maybe with the 3D printer, we can get back into baby Pac-Man restoration. You, you never know, yeah. Yes. Yeah, but I know, oh, I, I, I've heard of somebody who has one baby Pac-Man that he plays, and then he has another one just for parts. parts. Yeah, it's I like, totally it's, understand yeah, why. It's like when, you have, like when you have a child who has like For those who don't really 100% It's like for the bone marrow. That kid is mine later. That's creepy. Just for people who don't 100% understand, it's a pinball video game hybrid with mm-hmm. a screen on on top that a, right. a mini pinball machine with a screen on top, and you like when you like hit exits in the pinball, you're playing a very bad Pac-Man version. Or you you start out in Pac-Man and then yeah. you go out in the maze and yeah. then you. You, the you become ball falls pinball. Down. Yeah. Yeah. When you go out the bottom exit to the maze, you, yeah. you go into the pinball game and you play pinball. And then right. the Pac-Man so. game is a mess. It's like uh, the ghosts are all wrong. There's like a green ghost. It's, it, it was looks made, like an Atari it, type it, thing. It was, yeah. it was made by... I think that was not made by Namco. It was made by uh, Midway, right? Midway, yeah. exactly. Themselves. Every, everything so is Miss Pac-Man, though. You know? Oh, yeah. Everything that wasn't... Uh, Pac-Man was made by Midway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ms. Pac-Man. Well, Baby except Pac-Man, for Super Pac-Man, which Uncle Pac-Man, Grandpa Pac-Man. Super Pac-Man, yeah, Super Pac-Man. Step that Pac-Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. But let's continue 1982 games. Joust, mm-hmm. the Great Williams game. There's a couple other Williams games that year. Then uh, Jungle Hunt, but that, that might have been Jungle King might have predated that, which is the same game. Pole Position, that was a huge Atari yeah. game. Uh, Nintendo had Popeye that year. Um, DK and, Jr. And DK Jr. was 82 also? Yeah, yeah okay. I got that. And then uh, Qbert. Yeah. yeah, very good. And we also have three uh, pretty important companies. Uh, Electronic Arts formed in 1982. Yeah. Uh, Lucasfilm, now LucasArts. And Microprose, all 82. You missed uh, Ultimate Play the Game, which oh, uh, became rare. rare. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And they're still around. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's a list of... Uh, to some extent. A little bit. Yeah, they're a little bit around. Wait, what was Rare's last game? I can't remember. Kinect uh, Sports 2. Oh, I thought... Okay, so or, they make those think, now. Yeah. All right. Got it. Yeah, they're so, connect. They're connecty. Any other eighty-two uh, tidbits before well, we move on? I just want to point out the Vectrex is really cool. It was a home vector-based system. You know, with a uh, the vector screen is built in because everybody's TV is not a vector, right? Uh, uh, CRT and um, 
it's it's just great. It came with a game called Mindstorm, which is like a pretty amazing Asteroids clone, but I haven't played much other stuff on it. Mm -hmm. A good friend of mine, Charlie Carr, his father invented it, Jerry Carr, and he's around. I've met him several times, and if you guys ever want to get in touch with him for fun articles, he's he's awesome. That's That's cool. He also worked on the Power Glove. Is your friend heir to the Vectrex Millions? Yeah, he has has a Vectrex with a lot of games. The cool thing with the the Vectrex is that, I I know that this is back in the 90s, I don't know if, in the 90s era internet, but all the games went into, except for the, I think there was, I think they went into public domain. They went into public domain, and you can actually buy cartridges like a cartridge with all of the games <laughs> oh, on it nice. legally. I know. Yeah, exactly. You can buy Atari cartridges with all the games on it, but not legally. But yeah, this can is for Vectrex. You, you can, but I, though, I think there might be. So Bondi put out the Vectrex in Japan, and there may be. I think there is one game Bondi made that is not. Hmm. The uh, I don't. That'd be very I, unusual because it's an American design system. Yeah, so but, but yeah, but that's cool. There is a game yeah, yeah, yeah. called. Um, there's a. I think it's a Gundam game because every Bondi really? for <laughs> Vectrex. Wait, that yeah, would be. There's a game. There's a game called Harmageddon. Oh yeah, Harmageddon. That's um, yeah, it. but it, I think I think Harmageddon. I'm almost positive that Harmageddon is just one of the American games. I it's could the be completely Star wrong. Trek game uh, with the uh, Star Trek license. No, I know out. that exists because I know I've okay. played the, I then I'm completely wrong. Okay. I'm compl- I have it. I'm completely wrong, okay, and I'm yeah. and I'm mixing things up. But right. Harmageddon is is also an anime. Just for the record. Oh, it is, it is, oh it is, yeah, I think yes. I don't think they're connected. Yeah, uh, they may be, but I don't think they are. What do you mean? I don't. I don't think that the Harmageddon game is a is based on the Harmageddon. Oh, I'm positive it is. Oh, it is. It must be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. I, I think, think a lot of I think the spelled uh, differently. The arcade vector games were just knocked off on Vectrex because you yeah. could. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's yeah. exactly what they wanted to do, right? I mean, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, a vector monitor is a sort of uh, very highly detailed but black and white monitor found in games like Asteroids. That it can is, be is color very also. high resolution. It can be L- color. Yeah. Although the Vectrex. The is thing is that it draws lines, not dots. Yeah. That's the important distinction. Uh, and and Vectrex, like the Odyssey, had. Uh, acetate overlays right, that you would put on your that. screen, and that would give you a some semblance of color. But mm-hmm. the and screen was the screen in the system, so it was never screwed up for you. Yeah, it, it, you know, it was right. perfect. Right, fit. perfect. Yes. yes. We move sure, on to okay. 1987. Another, another big year. Yes. Uh, let me just go over the so few. Different. Uh, well, there's a lot of highlights. The two two consoles, uh, the PC Engine, mm-hmm. which we got a few years later as the TurboGrafx-16, yep. and I can never spell TurboGrafx-16 right the first time. I always have to look <laughs> it up. Uh, the Sharp X68000, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, hey, let's move on to important games because a lot of games came out. Uh, Actually, the Sega Mark III Master System came out in Japan. Yeah. Mark III or Mark III Master System? The is Mark III. Okay. Okay. But it's the same. It's the same. No. System. Yes, it is. It's the, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Not the Master System let's go is to the, the Mark III. It's dun, just dun, been dun, redesigned dun, dun. in a new shell. Yeah, but it has the FM... I believe it has the Master System has the FM synthesis chip in it, and the Mark III doesn't. Oh, really? Yeah. But they all play the same games. No. The, there are games that <gasps> only play with FM sound if you have the system that has FM sound capabilities. Really? Like Fantasy Star 1 has the FM soundtrack in Japan. So you have to have the, the Master System. But if you play it... I think if you put it in a Mark III, it plays the... What the American Master System did not have the FM sound synthesis. So if you in Japan, if you had one of the older systems and you put the game that had the FM sound into it, it would play the like chiptune version. Huh. I don't. Again, this is like everything Christian's saying is right here on this page. Really? <laughs> yes, you can check it out if you want to, Chris. I, I mean, I believe him in stuff. Yeah. 
It's on the uh, far right column. But yes, uh, you know who bought those systems? Nobody. Yes, exactly. Well, uh, nobody in um, in America because the, it, the, the master Japanese system models. Okay. Yeah. Unlike Western machines, with outfitted with an additional FM music chip. That is fascinating. Right. Didn't even know that. And so uh, we have a lot of important games in 87. Let me just go over a few of them, and I'm sure you guys have a lot to add to this. 87 is the year of the third-party NES game. Right, right. Uh, I mean, a few of these came out in Japan a year earlier, but 87 was the year that we got Legend of Zelda here Mm -hmm. and Metroid. Was it actually 87? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it was the year that Japan got Zelda 2. Right, right. Back to back. Um, and, yep. we, and the Final Fantasy 1 came out in Japan. Yeah. Uh, Mega Man. We have Castlevania. Mike Mega Man was Punch here, out. not Japan. Yeah. Uh, Mega Man Oh, no, Mega Man is Japan and here. Yep. Yeah, Terrace right. yeah. Actually, it was a, there was a... There was a four-day window in which in which December in, in Japan December seventeenth Mega Man comes out mm-hmm. December eighteenth Final Fantasy comes out wow. December twentieth <laughs> Fantasy Star comes out that's right yeah All Fantasy in a four Star four-day window those 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 the series got launched uh, we also have Maniac Mansion the first uh, scum mm-hmm. game and that would take Adventure Games into an entirely new direction that's a game I have a lot of fondness for um, Fantasy Star which Chris mentioned we have mm-hmm. the first Street Fighter not Street Fighter two but the arcade yeah, Street that's Fighter notable. Uh, mm-hmm. Check out our article on that. It's pretty interesting on One Up, uh, despite Sam's Raspberry. Uh, uh, we have Metal Gear for the MSX. Uh, mm-hmm. Double Dragon Street for the Fighter Arcade. Great, it has great sound. It does. It does. China. Um, it lent us. It, lent, it, it ended up leading us to interesting places. The thing is, that we also have Contra for the arcade, which I don't like, but we've got mm. Contra for the NES after that. So hey, yeah. hooray for that. Castlevania for the NES. Yes, I mean we've already done retro retronauts about a lot of these uh, games. Oh, no, but... I'll just mention to be totally in character uh, that I, 1987 was the year that East came out for the Ooh, Japanese thank people. You. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you yes. Go. Also, Leisure Suit Larry. Oh, really? It was 1987. Oh, nice. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Big big year for. This is so essentially what we're saying is expect that like twice a month there, you, to see some retrospective on the internet about like hey guys it's the yeah. 25th anniversary of some game you love yes please tune into one up yeah. for that because uh, I'm trying to plan out a Maniac Mansion thing hopefully with Ron Gilbert and- you'll notice oh, wow. nice. even yeah. with all these great PC games the NES dominates the lineup for this year it does oh, i mean yeah. uh you and well, jeremy were having a discussion that uh he he believes 88 was a little stronger in it but 87 seems like the year where it really started getting rolling it's definitely the year where everybody bought an nes yeah i, you know? I think i mean I, they, you were sold on the nes by this year right. it had been around for a while this is the year where it's just like oh well there's no question what system i'm gonna get right mm-hmm. and i think i agree with jeremy a little bit in that 88 was when things started to get really refined People started really figuring out the system. He said 89 or 90. I oh, couldn't really? believe he okay. said 90. For me, it's, it's 90 more like is a big. I think 90 is a pretty big year for the NES. I, mm. would, I would agree with that. I mean, in terms of Mario quality. 3, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Although that came out in Japan a- in 88. Oh, snap. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, we also have uh, Maxis, uh, Tengen, and Apogee uh, all uh, being established in 87. And Maxis is still around, right? They do. Uh, yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure. They do they not were do The Sims absorbed. anymore, though. Okay. The Sims is now in this in EA Redwood Shores. EA, yeah. In the, in and the, the Sims EA's studio. Sims division. So the last Maxis thing they did was they did Dark Spore and Dark Spore. Yeah. Or the last yeah. Dark Spore was the last thing Maxis did. And Tengen, who knows what they're doing these days? They're uh, Atari. No. Well, they're gone, Tengen but they were Atari. Part of Midway owns Atari games, and so Midway owned all of those games, I believe, and they've been absorbed into Warner Brothers. So I want to say that all of the Tengen games must now be property of Warner. Except hmm. the ones that were based on other people's IP, which was a lot of them, which now have to... Oh, right, right, right. ...have been yeah. reverted to 
whomever in the code is no longer. You yeah, know, but anything relevant. original that they did. I, what did they do that was original? They did. It was all arcade ports. Yeah. I mean, maybe RBI Baseball was that in there? No, arcade? well, that well, that was Namco's. That was made by Namco. A lot of the games were Namco games too. Yeah, but well, right. again, Tengen was just the label of Atari games, right? And Atari, yeah. yeah. So I mean, they did Gauntlet, you know. They were yeah they then their, their other games they well they had vindicators they also had <laughs> yeah they, they fantasy licensed, zone yeah the Robo fantasy Blasters. zone they licensed from Sega right right they did a version of Shinobi for the NES I believe they that did was, a version of Shinobi you for know, the they NES did, uh, they, Sega they games were coming Thunder. out on the NES thanks to Atari that makes no sense to me. what's also the, weird is that some of their Sega ports are like the same version like so Sega games were coming out on the Famicom which is the Japanese NES. Mm-hmm. Like, some of the ones Tengen put out here are the ones that came out in Japan, and some of them aren't. They're, like, mm. other ports. Like, I believe Fantasy right. Zone is not the Famicom Fantasy Zone, but one of some of the other Sega ones are the same that came out in Japan. Yeah, anyway, and, and, and Tengen wasn't only on licensed carts. They eventually just started doing licensed carts. They got Pac-Man and RBI Baseball. Yeah, that was actually no, no, before. That was beforehand. Sorry. It was before. Yeah, yeah they before. started as a Nintendo licensee, and then they split and off. And then they said, no way. Yep. The other thing that I had, the weirdest thing I think Tengen, a lot of people probably don't remember, I had a Tengen like, third-party power adapter for Sega Genesis. Hmm. <laughs> Because I ended up having huh. to buy another Sega Genesis power adapter. Just the point, hardware, just the adapter, just the like okay. the wall plug. You know, huh. just in, they sold it in a box, Atari and I bought it at Software, etc., to uh, maybe bring these things back. Yeah. Oh yeah, like that. To our yeah, that wasn't Hooray. the first time that Atari had done like a crazy spinoff company. Because, uh, but when they were getting Pong distributed, um, Atari invented or Nolan Bushnell, like being a carny, invented key games yes. just to distribute right. a bunch of more Pong machines. And we also have uh, Ultra just, it was Games, just Atari. which was Konami, LGN. Was LGN rare? Well, actually, here's the or, thing. So, sorry, oh. go on. Oh, you know this. Okay, so the rule on the on the NES was that companies could only put out five games a year because right, this right. was it was to create quality control and avoid Crash Two mm-hmm. happening. Nintendo was like, if you put out five games a year, there'll be quality. But somehow Konami was able to do Ultra, which was five more games. Metal Gear in the U.S. was published by Ultra. Uh, Ninja Turtles. Uh, Ninja Turtles them, yeah. was all the Ninja Turtle games. Okay. I believe were Ultra in uh, in the U.S. Um, and it was called Palsoft in in the in the U.K. Actually, also, hmm. um, but. Uh, you know, LGN was a claim. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So, so basically, um, yeah, Nintendo had this um, uh, policy. Policy. Thank you. Of um, of you can only make five games per year, uh, and so uh, for the NES, right? Right. And so. Um, I believe LGN was an acquisition, though. I think I think a claim. It, it was, but that them. was how they got. They, yeah, they acquired how they got LGN, around. and they went to Nintendo, and were like, "Hey, we acquired this company called LJN, so they're just going to put out some games, even though we own them." And Nintendo was like, oh, "Okay, I mean, you know, a claim was a big partner. They're so like, as long as they're good, then they put the, out. Karate once King. the precedent was set, uh, LJN games are never good. That was yeah. I, TNC I believe you're right. LJN, oh, LJN was a claim doing a runaround because they had a license, so a claim acquired them. But after that, Konami established the Ultra brand. Right, Metal Gear was released yeah. by Ultra, which was just Konami. I don't think anybody else did this, though. I think those are the only two companies that had an extra... Well, had I a, believe it, you are right. I believe that that was it. And Because then... Atari never actually did an Atari game. They only did Tengen games, right? They didn't split into two companies. Well, well Atari did split into two Tengen companies, was the but not label. for this Tengen part. was the yeah. label mm-hmm. of Atari games. And, uh, yeah, but here's the thing and, to and, bear in mind is... Right. The re- oh, sorry, were you going to explain this? I decided yeah, to jump in. Yeah. That, the, uh, Atari, um, Warner Communications owned all of Atari, and they sold the arcade division off. Uh, they sold the arcade division uh, to... Midway, um, and kept the home division turned into the computer division, right? And so you had Atari Corporation, which was home stuff, and then Atari Games, which was arcade stuff. Hmm. Um, and actually, so then uh, 
they were they were just two totally completely separate companies and, and had I their believe own separate IP. The only other point is that they're prohibited from using the Atari brand on home yes. products, which Thank is why you. it had to we be called it. Tank. It had to be called something else. Uh, that, yep. was, and I, that was think, it. That was the only reason. I was wrong earlier. I think Rare just never published their own stuff, so they published through Acclaim, Nintendo, oh, tons and a of people, of, yeah. a bunch of people. Yeah, Rare never published on yeah. Trade West. Atari yeah, had yeah. other they games. Cranked out games on the NES, like Marble Madness, which didn't even go through. Yeah, Tank but Milton game. Bradley published it, not Atari. But how did that happen? I don't know. They licensed the. They just licensed it. You know, licensed it from same way that the same way that Shinobi ended up. With Tengen's, basically, yeah. it was a uh, it was a crazy mess, and we we can't figure it yeah, out. Right, but, right, right. Um, yeah, exactly. The rules were different back then. Milton Bradley, the board game company, yes, by the yes. way. Mm-hmm. Um, but like like uh, oh, Christian, everybody got into the act. Parker right. Brothers made games, although not for the NES. I don't think. Yeah, but like Christian was saying, or was it Chris? Uh, five games a year, just because they did not want the market flooded like it was uh, earlier. Exactly, and, and uh, it was an overreaction in the or, yeah, it was an overreaction. It was a reaction in the opposite direction. They kept <clears> had too few games on the shelves. That's right. Although there yeah. were a lot of good games that year, so maybe it was just the right reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and eventually they just started bending those rules for all of their favorite partners. Uh, before we leave '87, uh, was this the year of the blockbuster Nintendo lawsuit? It was. Or was that 92? No, 92 was okay. two lawsuits. The Tengen one, which was, and Gulub. Gulub was okay. I, I think 87 was the Blockbuster Nintendo And that was over. Which was Blockbuster. Yeah. It was over. Blockbuster videos. It was over. It was really, um, the, the fight between Blockbuster and Nintendo was over video game rentals. Exactly. Nintendo, did, Nintendo wanted it to be that you it was illegal to rent video games at all. Mm-hmm. And they basically said, look, these are our, you can't, you can buy them and play them, but you can't rent them to other people. Mm-hmm. And they all went to court. And uh, Nintendo lost. And, and the you know court said, okay, Blockbuster can, in fact, rent out Nintendo video games after they buy them. Uh, so Nintendo sued Blockbuster again. This time it was because Blockbuster Video was making photocopies of video game instruction manuals. So it was just out of spite. Manuals. It was just like, we'll get you on something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they were trying to restrict um, product from going to rental stores. They were trying to make life difficult for them. Right. And so they sued them on the copyright uh, infringement that they were... And, they, and, and Blockbuster did lose. Right. And this led to the rise of uh, companies that would... Uh, Type up third-party instructions. I for love those so games. much. Yeah. What's the uh, Cap- Captain Code Man or whatever? Oh, that was something like, in like there. that. They, yeah, 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 I just remember that from mine. Um, uh, and nobody had been renting games before. Really, people this era, had been. Right? But well, Blockbuster was the first like national. Did you guys ever yeah, rent really Atari games? I, I Actually, not Atari them. games. No. But the thing you have to remember also is that in the '80s when. Yeah, we're talking, especially people who maybe don't remember, like, first there wasn't video rental stores, either. Yeah, I mean, video yeah. rental stores kicked off in the early 80s, really mm-hmm. started to be big. And they were, like, in the way that retail, you know, used to be small independent stores. Like, you know, I went, I rented Nintendo games, not at Blockbuster. I rented them at, like, independently owned video stores or, or other chains yeah. that no longer exist. I rented exist. them at the supermarket. Yeah, and that oh, yeah, too. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Right. So Blockbuster. There were, block, oh, yeah, we did too, actually. There was a huge like video rental section. Yeah, in the corner of the supermarket. Those yeah. are the days. Before we strap this topic, I do want someone to make a Tumblr of those fake instructions from like, Blockbuster. Oh, okay. I do want to see those again because they're always like so just wacky yeah. and strange <laughs> and uh, often wrong. I've actually got a, a Tengen Tetris one from a Tengen Tetris that I bought from a local video game store. Is it, is it stuck mm. inside? It's yeah, stuck inside okay, a plastic yeah. case. Cool. Those yep. are so great. Permastruct. So you never lose it. <laughs> Thank you, Permastruct. <laughs> Uh, so are we done with 87? It's um, a, I mean, such a do, big do, year. Do you have more of a list? Now. I mean, there's also Kid Icarus, um, Me- Metroid, Punch-Out. That's right. In the United uh, States. Um, yeah. Yep. I, I think yeah, I, did, I did name those. And it was, was a huge year. You know, Nintendo just released hit after hit, started right. series after series. And they would continue doing that uh, forever, <laughs> for, pretty, for pretty much. Um, so, um, Though they don't continue to start series after series. Oh no! They stopped doing. I that. would like. To, I would like it if they went back to that. They just have, that's Let's notable. Bring, they stopped in 1987. Bring back 1987, Nintendo. Bring it back. Yes, we want it. Uh, 
please find a way to bring us 90 Day 7 again. So, <laughs> what about Pushmo? Have you played Pushmo? Oh, yeah, Pushmo's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Super good. It's but they're still cool. not starting series yeah. after series. Well, okay. <laughs> Blockbuster series. I'm not saying they never make new games, Chris. We'll Calm see, down. We'll see what happens with Calm Push down, Pushmo Attack too. Dog. That's just Nintendo published. Yeah. I want Pikmin 3. Well, it's Intelligent Systems thing. I think it's coming does. for the Wii U. I hope so. Yeah. So, 92, what's going on? I saw, I couldn't take notes for 92. Someone help me out. Okay. Right. What's going on I in 92? Um, 1992, well, I mean, you know, the Super Nintendo had just come out, mm-hmm. you know, and then 1991 in the U.S. But, I mean, 1992 uh, was the, I mean, just as 1982 was, like, the year when everybody got ready for what would be uh, the big crash, 92 was people getting ready for the mini crash because you had... Sega producing the Sega CD, uh, Philips producing the CDI, uh, the Turbo Duo came out that year. We started seeing a whole lot of, um, we, we started seeing the, the beginnings of this like this era of hardware in which all kinds of different companies released multimedia systems. Oh, multimedia! Right. It was the it was the first push for the for America into CD-ROM technology, um, and so we'd already had the Turbo um, Graphics CD add-on, which was, I think was eighty nine. I think they it was eighty nine. Is eighty nine in Japan? I. I uh, Maybe, I want to say it was probably barely ninety yeah, in America. It was absurdly yeah. early. But, for but that Sega sort of released thing. a Sega CD. Philips had the CDI, and there was this idea again that video games were were old and busted, and that the new hotness were multimedia set. Yeah, boxes. I always think about uh, for some reason this always brings to mind. I have Sony ImageSoft always mm-hmm. comes on, which was yeah. Sony's like film studio version with of video the little games. feather. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone yeah, for the God. Sega CD. <laughs> right, yeah, that was that's the kind of note thing that, in my note mind. Again, that like if if the point of this podcast is to learn from history, here we are in 2012, and just like. And just like 92, video games are all dead again, and video games are all going away, and they're all going <laughs> oh, to be no. replaced with, again, well, set-top Thanks to Nintendo's that, regulation, that's not streaming happening. movies. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah. you're talking about like something and, like and, OnLive? Uh, you know, video games are getting, not no, just I mean, that. No, I mean, well, they're getting replaced by smartphones, they're getting replaced uh, see, by, yeah. by things that do Netflix. Um, well, not just that. And, and, I mean, like, so CES is happening right now, and I saw this great tweet from... Um, Ben Cousins, who's the general manager of NG Moko's new studio in Sweden, and his tweet today was, like, new TVs with quad-core processors in them can't wait to develop games for them. You know, the idea is that mm. consoles are going to become irrelevant mm. to the mass-market consumer because their TVs are going to have the adequate hardware to mm-hmm. display That's games true. directly. I forgot, like, TVs yeah. have software built into them now, like Netflix and, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. a lot of things like that. Yeah, they so, have applications. But it wasn't right the last few times. We'll see if it's right this time. I just think it's going to be, uh, not to be too much of a prognosticator, but I'm, mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely too early to call. Let's put it that easily. Mm-hmm. Definitely way too yeah, early. Yeah, it's to only call. 1992. Remember <laughs> right. how recently yeah, yeah. we were calling that the 3DS was going to be a total bomb failure and never ever succeed? Yeah, ever, you guys ever. are always wrong about that stuff. And it's now, weird. now it's sold more than the GameCube. I think uh, that's what Jeremy <laughs> just told me the other day. Um, so yeah, I mean, at least hey guys, the GameCube you know what came Japan. out in 1992 though? What Mario teaches typing? Thank God, because <laughs> Mavis Beacon was not cut for DOS. No, Mavis Beacon couldn't type for shit, yeah. and she's also fictional, which. Kind of hurts. Yeah, Mario's. And she still is. I I just saw Mavis Beacon in the Apple Store. Not the person, because she's fictional, uh but the software. Oh, wow. And I was like, that still exists. And she hasn't aged, and she's a different person. No, she uh, looks very much the same. Okay. 
Uh, I'm trying to think of games that came here's out. Some, here's some new kids. births from that year. Yeah, Kirk, no, Kirk, Kirby was born. Nice. Yes. Um, the RTS was born with Dune 2. Ooh. Mm. Uh, the Simpsons was born. Your favorite podcast topic. Uh, the Simpsons was born in 92? Yeah, or? I think it aired on Fox for the first time. Uh, okay, right. It was more like 88. Well, the well, Tracy, Tracy Ullman, Tracy Ullman, Ullman version. Yeah. Wasn't there, was a, there was a Christmas special with Sam Levine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So the, 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 first, the, the first episode of the TV the show Simpsons. The Simpsons aired in That's 92. wrong. It was, it was 89. Okay. Yeah. My, uh, Sorry, I'm, I'm, cool I'm a crazy that. person. Um, but was there a Simpsons game out by 92? Uh, yeah, the arcade game came out in 91. One would there think, you go. yeah. Okay. And oh, uh, okay. same with Bart vs. Space Mutants. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So well, I question where you're getting your information. <laughs> yeah, well, I got it from a book. I mean, those those aren't even editable by <laughs> oh, people. Oh, come yeah, on. Seriously. Who reads books? Um, Mario Paint. Sonic, yeah, Sonic yeah, 2. Sonic 2. Zelda, Sonic Zelda 3. Sonic 2. Was yeah. was if not the first, certainly one of the first major video games with a release date. Ooh. Because prior to Sonic Two, video games just sort of came out at some point in like, like nebulous windows, or kind of didn't, or didn't at all. Like like remember, anyone remember anyone remember in trying to buy Zelda Two in 1988 and uh, trying and failing to buy it over the course of about six months because yeah, like yeah, yeah, exactly. little tiny dribs and drabs right. of copies and of Nintendo Zelda Two would come out. Nintendo Power would be like, <laughs> it's in stores, maybe somewhere, so, uh, maybe it's coming to your area. We had Sonic know. Tuesday, and then Sonic we had Mortal Tuesday. Monday. Yes. And, uh, and that Wario was, that Wednesday, was right? No. <laughs> I don't think that ever happened. Uh, no, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sonic 2, it, it, it had a day. It was Sonic Tuesday, which I believe was in a December or November of that year. It was later on in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was the it was, it was was one of the first times in, when a company was like, this is this is the day that this game, again, some of our younger listeners might be like, this is weird. This is me. This is like me telling people about the invention of like soup. Like, oh, yeah. this is when they invented soup. No, this is... The video games didn't have release dates. That's yeah, people like might crazy. not remember that you couldn't also reserve games at, like, stores. I remember, like, mm-hmm. the first game I ever reserved was, like... Was it I Duke Nukem Forever? It was, like, Lunar. <laughs> Even <laughs> yeah. as late as the uh, mid-90s, it seemed like a very informal process. Yeah. Like, I reserved games at my game store because they knew me. There Ooh. was no, like, system or whatever. It was whatever. like a comic shop kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I reserve, like, Earthbound and Final Fantasy 3 oh, okay. or whatever. Oh, okay, so essentially they'd say, yeah, when it comes in, we'll hold We know that you. guy. Yeah, no, like, when it comes yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. The, the same nerd, way you might, like, yeah. subscribe to a comic at your local comic book store. Exactly. Like, yeah, we'll hold your issues for you. But back then they weren't, like, being, like, held at gunpoint by their managers to get reserves or whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it was, no, they were doing you a helpful service. Yeah, they were being nice <laughs> to the consumer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Instead of trying to but yeah, steal your putting money. their private parts in your eyeball. <laughs> they do that a lot. Yeah, we, yeah, we're glossing over some great releases, by oh, the yeah. way, by doing this. Like, like, did anyone hear someone say, like, Link to the Past? Yep. Yeah. Thank Zelda you. <laughs> yeah. But then, you guys heavily covered this on here. last year's podcast here. of this, because it came out in Japan in 91. Right. right. Okay. Uh, we have Final Fantasy V is Yeah, that right? was... I was going to bring oh, it. That's the I, knew, first. I know Christian's a big fan. Yeah, I know that, but that was the first game I ever imported. So I got wow. it for Christmas 92. Like, that was my main Christmas present in 1992. Was uh, Dragon Quest V 92 as well? No, that was that was 91 because it was a... Dragon Quest Three came out in 91 for, in the, uni- in in the United U.S. States. Yeah, no, oh. Dragon Quest V was, I believe it was 90. Because they, they went over early. They, uh, you know, they went... they Not over early, but they, uh, they actually... They just got it out before... Right. You what know. did you use to play Final Fantasy V if you imported it? Just did the you Super use, Nintendo. You used did you, um, you clip the yeah, clip the pliers and yeah. reached in your Super Nintendo where did you rip that plastic where, out. Where did you read about like how to do that and stuff? Because I wasn't aware that was possible at the time. I'm well, just I mean, curious. I, like, I, I see people. A lot of people seem to know that. I read I about it on know. the internet. Well, I didn't read about the internet because I don't think I was on the internet. I know I wasn't on the internet in 1992. Um, I I don't remember where I read that you could do that. I, what I do remember is 
buying did you just the game. I, and I, try read to about, shove it in? I read about it no, on no. America I knew Online that... in like news groups. Actually, okay. no, I'll tell you actually what I did. I'll okay. tell you what I did because I remember distinctly uh, preparing myself for this. I knew that you couldn't put it in the superintendent like it physically wouldn't fit. I don't remember why I knew that, but I knew it that it was those tabs were yeah. there. I. Uh, I decided to get the game, and I ordered it from a company called Gametronics that used to advertise two-page ads yeah, in the back oh, right. of EGM. Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, big color two-page ads, and the game was about $150 fucking dollars yeah. or wow. something like that. But yeah. they, they didn't mark that up very much compared no, to how no, much no. it cost in Japan. No, though, they right? didn't. No, uh, not really. They, um, they took their cut, and that was that. I mean, yeah. I, think, I don't know how they sourced their games, but yeah, they didn't mark it up too much. So I got the game, and my, my brilliant plan, and I had asked for, for Christmas, that game, and I asked for a Game Genie, thinking, surely Galoob will not be in cahoots with Nintendo and put the little <laughs> plastic <laughs> tabs <laughs> right, right, right. in the Game Genie. Well, they fuckers, they did. Oh. Yeah. I'm so, actually surprised. But, but what they, that would have been if a good you really wanted thing. to mod something, you could mod your Game Genie versus your... Well, my solution then was yeah. to... Uh, Take the one thing that was different is the Game Genie had real screws, not Nintendo security screws. Oh, so I just nice. took the case off the Game Genie and oh, used that as that an extender. Brilliant. Okay. But I believe, if I recall correctly, the Game Genie, you couldn't save your game through it because. Like games with saved data didn't work, so then I ended up oh. taking a fucking heated screwdriver to my. I heated up a, fl- a flathead screwdriver on the stove uh-huh. and hacked out the plastic bits. Right. So right, playing right. Final Fantasy V was like opening up like crab for tea instead of like yeah, mac we, and cheese yeah, we, like, used, uh, we just use a pair of pliers now you fuckers just one click off. on something and it appears on your iPhone 30 <laughs> seconds later you, you <laughs> risk like English. I know playing games involve Christian Nutt Christian Nutt himself had to fucking put a screwdriver on his stove I can see just like, to play a goddamn video I'm getting game. an image of Christian like under under Super Nintendo like a mechanic like wheeling himself out covered in like soot <laughs> <laughs> we'll get this working sooner or later yeah it was not um, simple no, but it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah, Final Fantasy V, great game. Um, Wonderful game. Anything else? Uh, 92, major releases? Wolfenstein 3D. Wolfenstein 3D. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I put a lot of that, We too. got a 286 computer just for that. So great. Not the you first. Know, again, ostensibly uh, not just for that, but that's what I'm going to Right. <laughs> yeah. I think that not the first FPS, but the first one that showed people how to do it. Right? It was the game that kicked off the genre known as first-person yeah. shooter. Anything yeah. previous was sort of like, okay, this is kind of weird and interesting. But Wolfenstein 3D essentially set the tone for everything that followed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else we got, Sam? Um, Nintendo and Sony reached an agreement on a standard for CD-ROM players. For oh, yeah. Video the Nintendo system. PlayStation. Uh, <laughs> yep. That was at CES. Actually, Nintendo really focused on the CD-ROM stuff at CES that year. Um, which is... I'm sure everybody did, because... Tw- 20 whatever years yeah. ago today. Everyone was know? so excited to play the 7th guest on their SNES. Well, I mean, they must have. I mean, 90, CES 92, before the year of 3 there must have been, like, it must have been CD-ROM mania. Like, mm. Sega must have oh, been yeah. pushing the shit, because it would have been, you know, the right before the Christmas, like, 92 fall is when the Sega CD came out in America. Yeah. So, they must have gone Everybody, Everybody was going crazy over CD-ROM. It's going to, you know, wave of the future, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Cool. Uh, speaking of uh, the game, the seventh guest, you know, was <laughs> talked about in hushed tones as being like the future of video games. When did that come out? That game was lame. Have, I hated that game. Video. Oh yeah, it wasn't very good. But you know, Stupid. video, video of real actors. I think it was I a mean, PC you know. game in '91. Uh, that's when it came out. I'm pretty sure. Was it that early? Yeah, I think it was the. P- it hit the PC first. Yeah, no, it was, seventh guest was definitely uh, a PC game. Yeah. And then it was talked about. I think it was, it was it only on Max. It was PC. No, no, that was missed. Was Max only? Seventh guest was PC. Seventh guest. I don't know where it came out first, but I'm pretty sure it was PC first. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 
Uh, what else we have? Yeah, well, speaking of uh, the Game Genie, uh, the maker of Game Genie Galoob, uh, that was this was the year that Nintendo uh, tried to take them out. The year Nintendo tried to outlaw genies. Yeah, they did. did. Yes, and they um, failed. They, they failed. Yeah, and they ended up paying Galoob some money. Paid him $15 million. Nice. Um, but they also uh, and made, micro-machines, it, not made just it legal to mod software. That's mm. with the result of that case. Yes. Because yes. it made the software that the Game Genie produced, the Game Genie should not produce a derivative work, was the key decision there. It didn't change the software into something that Gloob suddenly owned. It just modified it, and that had never been uh, cleared up in court. So yeah. even though people, uh, we were talking about this before the podcast, people would still be modding games now, right? But it wouldn't be completely legal, and it's totally legal. Or to it would mod. have been decided through some other. And the reasoning for that later. is that you've already paid Nintendo for that money, yeah. in, in the form of buying the hardware, or the software, or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so now it's somebody, you know, if somebody else wants to pirate, you know, or piggyback on that, then it's their prerogative. Too. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I think you mentioned earlier in the, in the in the show that there was another big lawsuit in mm-hmm. 1992, That's also, the which one. was the yes, Atari Games or Tengen versus Nintendo of America, and uh, Atari had um, or Atari Games rather had had sued Nintendo because they said Nintendo was engaging in anti-competitive practices by locking other software makers out of making games for the NES. Um, and this and is 92, so it's a little you know you think they would have pursued this in the early, early in the late 80s the, the gears of but justice yeah, grind slowly i'm sure they tried uh, yeah. they, they finally brought it to court in yeah because they they, they yeah. were they were in like as we were saying earlier they tengen originally started out as an official license they released gauntlet mm-hmm. pac-man and rbi baseball. rbi baseball they were gearing up to release you can actually find uh ads um uh, that say no. It was it was the the, the, the those first three Gauntlet, Pac Man, RBA Baseball. The only ones that came out licensed. No, Miss Pac Man came out licensed too. It's a great card. Has a pink label. I have it. Great card, pink label is uh, that's Namco Miss Pac Man. Well, it's that, that, oh, you, you're saying it's not the Tengen. Tengen. Oh, no, no, yeah, Namco. Because yeah. there's games. the two labels for Pac-Man eventually also. The, eventually, also the Tengen Namco lost yes, the yes. Pac-Man license, right, yeah, yeah, and then totally. Namco brought it three out. Three versions right. of Pac-Man on the NES. <laughs> there are three. Yes, in fact. Um and so uh, what ends up happening is, um, what, what was my train of thought? Uh, uh, they were talking about there. the lawsuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they were planning to bring out another game. They were just like, sorry. they don't want to There pay are magazine anymore. ads I wanted to point out. The fourth game was going to be Tetris. Yeah. Um, the four, there are, there are licensed pictures, team. licensed Tetris. Mock-up yeah, pictures of a, of a gray NES cartridge exactly, Tetris. Right, right. So saying. anyway, um, at that point, they decided, and it's, this is all, a lot of this is detailed, and again, another fascinating book, Game Over, David oh, Sheff's right, book yeah. about Nintendo. It's, it's out um, of print, but it's worth tracking down. Because, yeah, and they were kind of tied up with, with Namco, and everybody sort of decided, okay, you know what? Namco said, look, we will give you, we will license to you our games um and and you know you don't even have to be a nintendo you know licensee and we'll work with you if you decide to go your own way so they do and they they went their own way um and they produce these games um and the reason that tengen was able to produce uh games that actually worked in the nes was well first of all they were reverse engineering um, mm-hmm. The NES, and they were trying to reverse engineer it. They were, they were, they, the security chip. They were peeling the layers of the chip and trying to figure out what made it worse. Yeah. So they can make their own. Real quick, just to clarify, the, mm-hmm. there's a chip inside the NES that reads a code in the game cartridge and says, "Oh, you're official and, and totally legit, and yep. I will let you play." Yeah. Yep. And they, there was no, there, there would had they would have to come to with a, up with a workaround around that to to enable non licensed games to function on the NES. Right. Uh, and so. 
what ended up happening was they're working on uh, reverse engineering it when, I mean, apparently somebody from the legal department decided to go into the copyright office because Nintendo had copyrighted this code. That was how Nintendo was essentially trying to assert that they had the rights to lock other people out because Mm -hmm. it was like, well, it's copyrighted. It's computer software. You can copyright computer software. This is software. It's copyrighted. Sorry. Um, They walk into the copyright office and they say we're involved in uh, litigation over this piece of copyrighted material we're going to need to see the piece of copyrighted material to make sure that we're not you know in sort of you know in trouble with the law here like, that's hilarious here you go they walk out with it they just take the copyrighted code and pop it right into their game and they made the, um, like, the chip the nest 10 chip right? the, the, the 10 nes is like what it's called yeah, yeah. pretty sneaky sis. and then other other yep. companies did the same thing well, right no, no so the other, other companies yes. figured out other workarounds okay yeah because there's the switch in the back and yeah the yeah code well, what a lot of those cartridges did like cartridges from comerica or color dreams or mm-hmm. bunch games um my understanding is they kind of zapped the chip and they sent it a signal which would cause that chip to just get caught in an infinite loop <laughs> okay. um and that was that was their workaround it's like and knocking out the security they were guard never, yeah, they yeah. were never sued and they yeah. never had to do anything because they did not steal the copyrighted um, code one thing i don't think we went into why would a company want to do this in nintendo i mean i know but for our listeners like why would you want to not have your thing published by nintendo why would you want to go your own route they did not like all of the restrictions that nintendo put on the companies they wanted to be because nintendo told a company whether or not the company could even publish that game the Period. company had to submit it to nintendo and nintendo would say this is okay this is not okay not only that but they graded them they had like an internal review board they and did. if you got like too low of a sc- again they gave you like a formal feedback and, and you had to like- go back and you fix the game you'd resubmit it and and, and, and then you got and, the seal of quality yeah and atari <laughs> was just like no we're, first of all the, the roots of this company are atari you wouldn't be anywhere you know yeah, without it's us. Like we there made was certainly that games. feeling with some people and and they wanted to they they just wanted to make their own Video games. Not only that, but Nintendo controlled the manufacturing. Like I was talking about earlier, yes. you know, you couldn't find a copy yep. of Zelda 2 around. Even there were, but Nintendo, you know, of course, like any other company, plays favorites mm-hmm. with its oh, yeah. different companies. Yeah. Certain suppliers, you know, were said, you know, yeah, we'll get you carts out for the yep. holiday. Sometimes people, companies would submit games yep. for publishing. They were accepted, but they wouldn't show up for like three months, or they would have to make orders of certain number of pieces before Nintendo would mysteriously push them up in the. Uh, in the in the exactly, queue. and of course, if Nintendo had shortages of its own games, they were going to put Nintendo first and third party second. Exactly. If you had a hit game on your hands, let's say you ordered the minimum number of units, which was a lot, right? You had to order a lot. You sell out of it completely. Christmas is coming. You want to get more of your games. You can't because you have to submit through this extensive process that Nintendo has, and then Christmas comes and goes, and you finally get more games. But now your game is not the flavor of the month anymore, and nobody wants to buy it, and you're screwed. Mm. Well, why would you submit yourself? to this feed. Also, Nintendo insisted on picking its own suppliers for the chips, and they make all the cartridges and everything. Right, so right. These companies, I think, you know, Tengen probably went to Nintendo prior to this and said, "Guys, let us make, our, let us manufacture our own plastic, let us find our own chip suppliers." And Nintendo was like, "No, no, 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 no." So they decided to just go off and, and do that. So they control the means of production and they control everything. And so now they can they can you know make as many of their games as they want to, and they can sell as many as they want to. And it's a and Tengen was very successful at this, right? I mean, there's tons of Tengen surprisingly because they weren't covered in Nintendo power and they weren't yeah. like it in a but lot they have of, a lot of big games. Also, Nintendo controlled prices. I mean, you know, they couldn't argue for a better price on on a chip supplier. That was all Nintendo doing that. So they could make their games cheaper if they wanted to. And Nintendo of America had rules. I mean, 
this impacted the Japanese companies, but there's like three things I thought to say. Yeah. One is just, one thing you don't remember, or like if you're not old enough to remember, like nowadays, you know, you go into every GameStop, it has like, you know, essentially, not counting you stuff, it has these same games. You go to like Target, it has the same games, Walmart, like everyone has these same big games, they're there. Like back in that day, like you would go into like stores and there'd be a random selection of whatever games yeah, because true. like it was very hard to, f- I remember like I really wanted Mega Man 1, which was like, you know, obscure because Mega Man was not a property yet, like. I, like, ended up going all over town with my mom until we, like, you know, like, in the same day, you know, it took, like, a month for me to find a copy of Mega Man, <laughs> right, you know, just right. because, like, it wasn't like it is now, so I'm sure that yeah. had, that's something to do with the way Nintendo controlled the process. I think by 92, process. things were getting better, because they had the yeah. world of Nintendo set up, yeah. and then they'd have, like, this, like, huge supply of games. But there the definitely kiosks, wasn't but... this consistency of, like, you know, someone says, go, you know, like, EA goes to Microsoft or whatever, hashes out, like, you know, this is Battlefield Day, and, like, every store has a million copies of Battlefield. Right. It, is, it just mm. was not like that. Like, right. um... Their thing is that uh, now I forget what my other train of thought was. <laughs> what were you talking about right before? Um, I was talking about Tengen. Yes, and why they would want to. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and then the other thing that was interesting about this—it's kind of an aside—but uh, the um, the funny thing is that, like, you know, they also companies could not put custom hardware in, in in NES cartridges. They couldn't deviate from like the the options that Nintendo presented them for, like memory mapping chips and whatever, and. That probably, you know, I don't know if that it contributed to their decision or whatever, but, mm. like, one thing it did contribute to is if you look at, like, the Japanese versions of some games and the U.S. versions of some games in Japan where companies could manufacture right. their own cartridges, yes. they have chips that, like, there's some that have better music. Like or Castlevania better, 3, for Castlevania example. 3 is one yeah. of the most famous examples, obviously. It has better music and, and some different, I believe, some different graphics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also bunch restrictions crosses, on... bunch yeah. of sacrilegious stuff. But <laughs> in terms of technical stuff, there's also um, another thing that's... Another Konami example is that uh, Contra has more animation in the Japanese version and a little bit of, uh, like, like... It has animated too. backgrounds and not really cutscenes, but, like, full-screen graphics of the characters right. in between levels because it had, like, the Japanese version of the cartridge had more RAM... Or not RAM, RAM. ROM in it, and yeah. they had to cut to get to Nintendo's like limit or whatever they could be charged and have a pro- what they thought was a profitable game. Like they cut right. Contra down to right. fit in the U.S. cartridge. And Nintendo sizes. was free to add whatever chips they wanted to, and they did like freely for their own games. You know? well, Nintendo yeah, but, would break the rules, you know, constantly for right. themselves. Well, they right? developed they yeah. developed the memory mappers that were like you know the ones they 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 controlled. The, you know, if they wanted to create a new memory mapper chip for like a, a more advanced yeah. game, they could. Someone else would have to wait until Nintendo got ready and decided now's the time. Like the one for Super Mario Brothers, it was MMC4, the one that allows Super Mario Brothers 3 for the scoreboard on the bottom to stay still and the game to move. Uh, yeah. That, oh, and of course, I mean, I think they, they I mean, like Punch-Out, I think Punch-Out uses a memory mapper chip that like, yeah, that like no other game uses. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was very right. specialized. Right. So, uh, Did you know in uh, 1992, the Genesis became $99? Wow, that makes that's, sense because that's when Sonic. We're talking about Sonic Two. That's good like, trivia. Yeah. We talk. Go back to Sonic Two and Sonic that's, Tuesday. That's huge. And, yeah, that a sixteen-bit system yep. put up against the Super Nintendo that had a lot of the same Which games. Which was uh, two hundred, correct? I believe it uh, dropped to one seventy-nine. I think that okay. year, and it was pretty much neck and neck until Donkey Kong Country. I believe. Yeah, uh, basically between the that's, two. That's a good. Yeah, way I mean ninety-two. It, yeah. I mean, yeah. there must be better games than Sonic or other games than Sonic Two. I didn't do a lot of Genesis research for this, but uh, you know there were. I mean, I know it's funny. I, actually, I, there, was I Echo, a lot, there was Echo, Echo the, Dolphin. the Dolphin was another yeah. one. That's I thought right. a lot of '91 games when I was walking over here, but '92. Mm. Uh, Final Fantasy V is what really stood yeah. out in my mind. Right. Well, guys, we have to wrap up. Unfortunately, really, uh, we were going to do 1997, but uh, actually, Retronauts did an entire episode about 1997 back in God, I think 2008. So, if you want to hear about that, look up episode 34 of Retronauts, not Retronauts Live at Retronauts. Regular. Yeah, 97 is the yeah. golden age of PlayStation, so that must that could right. take a whole episode. That, you know what? That, that's exactly what it was. It was like 97. 
97 was like Final Fantasy 7, Symphony of the Night, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, Parappa the Rapper, Oddworld Abe's Odyssey, Tomb Raider 2, <laughs> Gran Turismo. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, that was when the PlayStation What's the exploded. Nintendo list? An amazing the Nintendo, year for software. No, the Nintendo list, here is the complete Nintendo yeah. list, is Star Fox 64 cool. and GoldenEye. Uh, was Mario Kart 97? Um, Mario Kart 64? Oh, you know, Mario Kart uh, 1 was in 92. Yeah, it yeah. was. Oh, so yeah. Mario Kart was in 92. So. That's worth mentioning. Mario Kart 64 was probably 97. Okay, yeah. I yeah, thought yeah, so. Yeah. But not too notable to me. Not, not a whole lot happened that yeah. year for Nintendo. Poor guys. But guys, I want to thank you for yeah, joining me. Yeah, thanks for having us uh, on. This, is good. this is a tradition I like to uphold. Mm-hmm. So let me just go over some contact info for all the listeners out there. You can find us at Retronauts on Twitter. And do you guys want to give out your uh, Twitter sure. uh, names? Sure, I'm uh, Samuel underscore IGN. Ferricide, that's F as in Frank, E-R-R-I-C-I-D-E. Kobun Heat, that's Kobun, K-O-B-U-N, as in a surf bot, and then Heat, as in um, warmth. Fire. Uh, (laughs) You can subscribe to our blog. Um, Excuse me, just go to retronauts.com. That's R-E-T-R-O-K-N-O-T-S.com. And you can find, uh, for every episode we do, there's a blog post that has the music that I use, uh, you know, more info on the topics, relevant links, and so on. And we also have content aside from that, so please subscribe to us. And we also have a new feature called Retronauts Lunch Break, which happens every weekday at 12 o'clock p.m. PST. And, and during Retronauts Lunch Break, uh, Jeremy and I play about 15, 20 minutes of a retro game. We take uh, questions via Twitter. It's very fun. And we put up the uh, recorded video later in the day. So please check that out. When do you eat lunch? Uh, I eat lunch later. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not starving. And all, as always, um, please rate and review our show on iTunes. And I, I do read every review that comes in. I appreciate them greatly. And please subscribe to the show on iTunes if you so choose. So... Let's do some plugs. Uh, I just say, hey, read one up and enjoy it. Uh, you guys have anything you want to plug specifically? Sam? Uh, I work for a little site called IGN. You can check it out. Are they sometime. new? I've just. Uh... We have a blog role. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, Christian? I, I write for Gama Sutra. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, probably many of you are. Uh, we are fo- site primarily focused for game developers and game business people, but we publish a lot of really interesting stuff if you really care and are passionate about games, really. Interviews like on Friday, I did an interview with uh, Toshiro Kondo, right. who's the president of Falcom, oh, Falcom, yeah. the creators of East. So there's a incredibly geeky interview that uh, was a sort of a dream come true for me. And uh, and if you if you like Falcom, you like Dear East. Thirteen year old self. Yeah, that's exactly what I <laughs> you said. You are going to be very excited. I'm never guess where I'm writing you from, <laughs> Chris. What are you working on these days? Um, I, as always, I work for Wired.com. Uh, Wired.com slash Game Life is where you can find me, and um, I do things. We did, we also have a podcast. I thought. So we we have not stopped doing it yet, which is really cool. Amazing, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So uh, every uh, every Friday we put up the Game Life podcast. It's uh, me and other Wired editors talking about whatever we feel like. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Chris, and to Thanks our listeners. Um, we're back from the break. We're going to be weekly again, so don't worry about any other extended vacations until I guess next Christmas. So until next time, uh, I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>